Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, Max Blumenthal here at the Gray Zone, and we are live. Welcome, Aaron. Welcome, everybody. Seems like we're we're doing all right. We're here to talk about Mason Gate. Everyone, you know, who wants to discuss this issue, it's hashtag Mason Gate. Get that trending. I know Paul Mason was trending two days ago across the UK because everyone saw what he was doing. Uh, illustrated in vivid detail, thanks to the reporting of Kit Clarenberg and myself. And you know, Aaron and I had been targeted by Paul Mason. He publicly called for state action against us. And we showed what he was doing, which was to literally involve what he called Intel by proxy, including Bellingcat, who he specifically um, named as Intel by proxy, in a campaign to destroy us and to neutralize the UK left, which he outlined in this insane Nixonian McCarthyite chart. Uh, and, you know, it ends up with, as I said on Jimmy Dore, you know, George L. Orwell snitched out Paul Robeson. Paul Mason snitched out the entire British black community. He literally has an arrow pointing at the black community and an arrow pointing at the Muslim community. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Bellingcat and get into Bellingcat's origins, its origin story. I've actually been doing some research over the years that I never released. And actually, it's amazing to see this level of vindication about what we've been saying and what's been targeting us. Um, but before uh, we talk about that or we talk about the looming global famine in which millions will die, uh, or the looming oil crisis due to Western government sanctioning the largest exporter of oil on the planet and now seeking to skirt their own sanctions. Uh, before we talk about the uh, massive global realignment that we're seeing or the process of de-dollarization that will alter history, uh, before we talk about any of those issues, I think we should talk about something much more important, um, at least according to AOC, which is January 6th. Aaron, uh, any thoughts on this really important issue that the Democrats have spent the last 48 hours without pause, without even like bathroom breaks discussing? You know, first of all, I'm wondering, have the ratings for the January 6th hearings been made to be a state secret? Has Joe Biden classified those ratings? Because I haven't seen them yet. I'm really curious to find out how many people actually tuned in because man, what I saw, I, I only caught a few seconds, but what I saw was the commission chair claiming that the whole world is watching what we're doing <laughs> here. Because that was so funny because not only is the whole world not watching, but I don't even think anybody <laughs> in the US is watching except for MSNBC viewers. I mean, who, who, when MSNBC viewers are like, what one twelfth of Joe Rogan's audience? It's yeah. basically like, it's basically like a, a few, uh, a handful of boomers in the Upper West Side and Northwest DC and maybe the Bay Area. Um, here, here I wanted to play this MSNBC clip because it's it's just so funny that this took place this morning and it really shows what this is all about and what. The polit in the politics of it. This is uh, our friend Nate Wallace caught this. I mean, he basically just he sits in his living room before he goes to work and watches Morning Joe and just captures the insanity every day. 
and she began to push back against Joseph McCarthy. It is an extraordinary <laughs> story, uh, a story that that uh, still inspires today. And I can't help uh, but think that 50 years from now, 60 years from now, uh, uh, as this republic survives, uh, people will look back on Liz Cheney the same way. Um, I think that's absolutely right. I think well, people will, will, people certainly will remember her long after they've forgotten most of the members of, con of Congress. Although, uh, although Joe, you've always been special. So, so yeah, that's uh, Liz Cheney is the co-chair of the of the January 6th investigative commission. And there, basically there's so many funny statements here. First, Joe Scarborough is saying the Republic is going to survive in 50 years. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's, it's not, <laughs> uh, but also that Liz Cheney will be remembered by everyone like, or that we should remember her as anything other than the daughter of one of the worst criminals human history has ever presented. And Eugene Robinson, who is always like the liberal voice at the Washington Post, is praising a Cheney. So here's where the Democrats are. This is what they, they've become. And it's her and Benny Thompson. Um, that's why, I mean, I don't really see these hearings as hearings about January 6th. I see these hearings more as the kickoff campaign for Liz Cheney's inevitable Democratic Party candidacy, whether that's as president or some other high position, because this is what January 6th is helping to consolidate is the just complete alliance between the neocon right and the neoliberal Democratic Party. That's what this is all about. I mean, the same people who are claiming to be concerned about coups at home and white supremacy are the ones who oversaw the coup in 2014 in Ukraine that empowered fascists and white supremacists, and that is having major geopolitical consequences today with the Ukraine proxy war now in uh, all its chaos with uh, Russia's invasion. So uh, that's what this is all about, is consolidating the consensus that has been established, especially since 2016, when Democrats became the party of just nonstop talking about Russia. And the same theme of talking about anything but issues that they could actually do something about, the real problems, the real problems this country has instead has to be avoided by obsessing over outside things like you know blaming russia for trump's victory hillary's loss and now focusing obsessively on something that happened 18 months ago and yeah it was bad it was a shitty riot i wish it hadn't happened people should be prosecuted i think what trump did was impeachable but to make this the singular democratic issue with all the other messes that are going on it's again a part of the same thing of consolidating neocon support and deflecting any responsibility for their own failures. Yeah, and Aaron, uh, I don't know if you can turn your mic up, uh, but no, you're a little quiet. bit quiet on the set. Um, yeah, I was the I was there. I wasn't a participant. I live like not too far from the Capitol, so I just went up there to see what was going on because there was like it was the craziest episode of one of the craziest things in my life. And what I saw, as Caitlin Johnstone said today on Twitter, was like uh, a LARPing version of what the U.S. really sponsors abroad. Like when the U.S. sponsored uh, the color revolution in Hong Kong, where they actually went into the parliament and smashed everything they could. 
uh, and they opened up the parliament in Hong Kong with a battering ram, what I saw was kind of like a low IQ riot that lasted until they were told to go home and then everyone just left in an orderly fashion. When I arrived uh, at, on January 6th at the Capitol, I got there just after Ashley Babbitt had been shot. So I saw people pouring out, uh, some people with her blood on them, talking about witnessing it. Then I saw her come out. I saw the blood pouring out of her neck as she was rushed into an ambulance. That was the only casualty that day, although we're told all these cops were killed and blah, blah, blah. Brian Sicknick was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. And there were no cops anywhere. I saw a few cops inside. There were a few Capitol Police officers and uh, they had put on their riot gear and there were just a few of them and they were pepper spraying people out of the Capitol. But they clearly let them in. It took till like 3 or 4 p.m. until police just started coming in from all, all these different departments. It was like just random cops from everywhere. Um and then they, they just put down, they started firing tear gas from out of the Capitol. Uh, they put it down pretty quickly. And then people in like MAGA hats started, who were like Trump operatives, it looked like. That, that's what it looked like to me. Started telling people, look, guys, we did it. Let's go home. And then everyone went home. Um, and this is being presented as Pearl Harbor. One of the people, first people I met there, by the way, was a guy named John Sullivan, who I've written about before. And his video, he captured Ashley Babbitt on video. Then he went on CNN that night on Anderson Cooper and was hailed as this independent journalist. It turned out he was the main instigator of the most violent part of what happened, which is when they tried to rush the speaker's room where supposedly Mike Pence was hiding out. And that's what led to Ashley Babbitt being shot because she crossed the red line. Uh, and you can't do that. You can't do that. The police were authorized to use force in that situation. Um, it was a really a stupid move, but John Sullivan was egging her on, egging all of them on. And he's such a suspicious character. S there's so many levels of insanity. And I don't think he's even being mentioned today, nor is Ray Epps, who appears to be a confidential FBI asset, who is telling people we got to go inside. What I saw and what I saw throughout the whole summer and fall of 2020, but especially the fall, was a security state operation to me, uh, a strategy of tension in which uh, extreme forces were drawn into scenarios that would embolden and empower the security state. And that's exactly what's happened. The Capitol Police have been given uh, national authority now. They have offices across the country. Uh, their budget went up. The squad all voted for more policing. And most of what they do around Capitol Hill, Hill by the way, is like uh, arresting poor people and advancing gentrification. But this to me is, you know, a continuation of the growth of the security state from 9-11 using various crises. And it's the Democrats this time that are pushing it, which just deepens my alienation with them. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to add there. Well, look, you know, but like what you're speaking to is the complete law enforcement failure on January 6th, even if, for example, no FBI assets were involved, which I doubt, but even if, even, even if that's true, the fact is they failed to prevent with all the intelligence powers that they have, they failed to pick up that this would happen. And then when it happened, they failed to respond properly. And if these hearings were serious, they'd be looking at that, but that would mean applying yeah. scrutiny yeah. on the same national security state that Democrats and people like Liz Cheney are, are in complete lockstep with. So instead, yeah. they have to create theatrics about something totally different. And by the way, 
Trump already was held accountable. He was impeached for this. Uh, it was a major thing. It went on. It overshadowed the first uh, week of Biden's presidency. They did. Yeah. So that's already happened. So, but I think because they didn't get the desired impact that they wanted, because again, they can't process the fact that most Americans just don't care and they have other concerns. They're doing this again to make this about Trump. They'll never apply the scrutiny that they've applied to Trump to people who are also responsible, which is the national security state. And we are in such a desperate situation in this country right now. And what people are voting on has nothing to do with January 6th. The Democrats are going to get hammered in the midterms. They are going to get demolished and they are going to deserve it for what they've done to distract from the real problems and to foment problems. They have completely abandoned their constituents and you know, if you're on the left in the U.S., that's the that's the party that's supposed to represent you. It's supposed to have some progressive wing with a few people who are anti-war, uh, who probably get nothing done, but at least they make little speeches. Well, none of them said shit about forty billion to Ukraine. They all voted for it, and it was up to the right and the America First Coalition to say something. So it's just such an upside-down world. People are so desperate right now. They're going to vote on gas prices. That's pretty much it because gas prices are, the, are food prices. And I've said this before, and I'll say it throughout this episode. It's pathetic that anti-war groups haven't been connecting gas prices to sanctions and explaining to people how the price, how NATO is ruining their economic livelihoods by driving this maniacal proxy war in Ukraine and an economic war on the largest oil and fertilizer and wheat exporter on the planet. Uh, and I think it's because they're caught up in all of these, they're caught up in all of these green illusions and uh, in, in this whole boutique climate justice movement. So they don't want gas prices to actually come down. That's my theory because I can't understand why they're not making that connection. And I can't understand why there've been so few protests on the aid to Ukraine. I mean, or why I was the only reporter walking around Capitol Hill trying to grill um, members of Congress, including so-called progressives like Ro Khanna on their support for possible World War III. I, I just, it just feels like such a strange moment on so many levels. The country is plunging into desperation and there's just almost no resistance out there. So- but, Yeah. By the way, speaking of, Rokana, speaking of Rokana, you know, Rokana once helped lead that resolution to bar congressional assistance to the Azov Battalion, which he correctly identified as neo-Nazi. Now, of course, he's a he's forgetting all that. And among the Democrats, every single one of them to vote for sending more weapons to Ukraine, which will reach, of course, the Azov Battalion. It already has. And recall that when you asked him about, you know, why he switched positions, he accused you of parroting Russian propaganda. He then deleted that. He has an apology. No, he actually was suggesting I was some kind of Russian operative. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and, and then, uh, Democratic state Senate candidate Nomiki Konst, uh, called, called for like congressional hearings and for me to be investigated for questioning Ro Khanna on the street. Um, so yeah, I mean, she's now running in some new, what is it like, like some hipster gentrifier district in Brooklyn. And, uh, so she's running against the AOC style. It's like the CIA style candidate versus the AOC style candidate. And the DSA doesn't seem too happy. 
Well, um, I was going to say about Azov that just this week, the Wall Street Journal reported that Azov is is hoping to get more Western aid. That's right there in the Wall Street Journal. And they talk about even the U.S. weapons that Azov already has, including, I think, howitzers and, and things like that. So that's actually what's happening on the ground and totally ignored in all of this. I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in, um, you know, and just focus rightly on what's happening inside of Ukraine. But the spillover yeah. effect, the fact that Europe is being flooded with these weapons will become an increased hub of arms trafficking. It's so easy for these weapons like a javelin to get in the hands of someone uh, with bad intent and to, you know, attack uh, civilians, attack even politicians that they don't like. And these weapons are going to be all over Europe for a long time. It's a kind of blowback that is always there, but uh, we never talk about it until the impacts already happen. So, for example, and you've reported on this, the Manchester bomber who trained in Libya as a part of the dirty war operation there. Um, that was blowback. And no, all the blowback we had uh, in Ukraine is something that we can't see yet, but no doubt we're putting everything in place to ensure that it happens. Yeah, the front page of the Gray Zone has a report by Alex Rubenstein about the Department of Homeland Security issuing a memo, a private memo that was leaked, uh, expressing concern about returning foreign fighters, American foreign fighters who are neo-Nazis and are now bringing new tactical experience back home. So Alex wrote about two figures. Um, I mean, it's such a, it's such a wild story. Craig Lang, who murdered a couple in Florida, then went off to the Venezuelan border to kill communists, in his view, then somehow winds up in Ukraine with right sector. He's fighting there. Now he has a Ukrainian lawyer fighting his uh, murder trial, his murder case. And he's also uh, wanted by the Justice Department for torturing people to death in Ukraine. And um, Paul Gray an American neo-Nazi associated with four neo-Nazi organizations. He's been on Fox News six times as a hero because he's fighting with the Georgian Foreign Legion, whose leader, a blood-stained war criminal, has been welcomed in the halls of Congress. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. And it's Syria all over again, where you had literal Al-Qaeda members coming to Washington and being shepherded around by Charles Lister and Michael Weiss. Um, it's going to, it's going to blow up in our faces for sure. And it will blow up first in Ukraine and maybe even Russia because there's pressure from the Pentagon to send um, multiple rocket launcher systems that can reach Russian cities to Ukraine. That'd be a major escalation. The Pentagon is, is a major lobby right now and, and, and no one's pushing back, especially from the Democrats. So uh what, what you tweeted this clip of Jim Risch from Idaho, Aaron, I don't have it ready, but it was one of the most revealing statements of the war. He said, we can't let this thing end now. I have it right here. I'll play it. Here we go. This what we're going through in Ukraine is, is somewhat like this now. We can't have this thing end just as what's happened in Syria where, like you pointed, the hostilities have cranked down. Me. We can't have this end and say, okay, it's over. No, it's not over. This will never be over uh, until the people are held to account uh, for what they've done. And uh, we're a long, long ways away from that. I, I think the one case I, I referred to in Germany is, is merely scratching the surface 
but uh, this is something that's uh, got to go on for a long time. So I, in, I appreciate hearing <laughs> uh, your efforts as the chairman and I have done to push back uh, on allies of ours uh, from doing what they appear to be doing and saying, well, it's over. No, it's not. Are those the cops coming for Rish or are they over where you are? This. And so in case you missed it at the end there, that's Barbara Leaf, Under Secretary of State for the Middle East, saying that, Senator, I couldn't agree with you more. And so isn't that Dana Strahl sitting next to her? Dana Strahl? Next to her sitting Dana Strahl, Gray Zone fan favorite. She's the one who bragged that the U.S. quote owns one third of Syria and holds a card over reconstruction in Syria. Because right now, I'm, you know, just uh, recapping her words, Syria is, is in rubble and Syria wants reconstruction. And the U.S., through its financial leverage of the global system, can hold a card on that and keep Syria in rubble, as Dana Struhl bragged about. She's also a top Pentagon official now. Yeah, so just a complete display of, of sociopathy on Capitol Hill right there. And you can see, I, I, I wish I still had the video up. There's this guy behind Jim Rish who's obviously on his staff. And like, it looks like his, he's just like, he looks like this kind of um, like an undertaker is keeping him alive or something. But the, the staff members, they all go into lobbying. They go through the revolving door too, uh, not just the members. And so what Jim Rich is saying is like, I need golden parachutes from the arms industry and the beltway bandits and the blob for all my staff after they leave my office. Uh, we got to keep this war going because this is the new Afghanistan. Yeah. It's the new 9-11. It's basically the global elite, globo cap. It's one of their, it's like their last hurrah. And what they want to do, and it's, it's also what they did with the pandemic as well, is they just extract our tax dollars, just rake them from out of our pockets, and then funnel them through the corporations and contractors that sponsor them but they need some crisis to generate that push to rake our tax dollars out of our pockets. And so Ukraine is the new one that the 40 billion, it's just a money laundering operation. So that brings us to someone who is one of the, I, I would say the main left voice for doing just that, for having this gigantic civilizational conflict over Ukraine. And is in favor, and not just in favor, but has led a so-called UK left delegation to Ukraine and then sponsored a pro-war rally in the streets of London with left trade unionists and, I don't know, fellow Trotskyists. And it looked like a, <laughs> it looked like a bunch of like NATO staffers had dressed up as leftists for the day or something. Uh, his name is Paul Mason. He is a sort of celebrity journalist in the UK who had convinced uh, his fellow members of the media that he was the voice of Jeremy Corbyn, even as he was plotting secretly against Corbyn. He was considered the left voice during the uh, protests in Greece against neo the neoliberal onslaught and austerity package. Uh, he you know, positioned himself in Athens and Channel 4 thought he was this leftist. He wrote some book, which should have been a major red flag about how technology and smartphones and electric cars were the future of 
the socialist revolution and that they'll provide luxury. Eventually we'll all be living in luxury communism, this infantile take on the fourth industrial revolution. And now Paul Mason's new cause is intervention for Ukraine and fighting so-called disinformation. When we all know what disinformation means when it comes out of the mouths of members of the transatlantic establishment, it means anything that interferes with the objectives of the elite and the warmongers. It's just pretty simple. Nina Jankowitz is a perfect example of a kind of disinformation huckster who got exposed for what she was. And so when Paul Mason wrote a piece in the New Statesman calling for state action against what he called the pro-Putin left and then singled Aaron and me out for particular scrutiny, we suspected that Paul Mason was seeking to enlist elements of the state or cutouts of the British state to attack us. And then we provided the receipts showing he was doing just that. And he'd even put together an insane chart, an enemy's chart. And we exposed him. As I mentioned at the top of this stream, uh, he his name was trending across the UK. The UK left is furious to see what he's been doing. Uh, he is a snitch and a scab, and he was working with someone named Emil Khan, who runs a firm called Valent Projects, which is a intelligence contractor for the British state, specifically the Foreign Office. And I mean, I would assume that you know the intelligence services have been directly involved with him, but certainly the Foreign Office and USAID were paying for him to come up with lists of his own, to target people, independent journalists, to paint them all as Russian or Chinese stooges. And Emil Khan was working hand in glove with Mason. We don't know how they know each other, but it's clear what their motives are. Emil Khan had been exposed uh, twice by Kit Clarenberg, uh, first for astroturfing a YouTube star uh, who's associated with the kind of bread tube collective of fake socialists uh sort of socialist anarchists uh and and preparing a project funded through the royal institute which it is was itself funded by the uk uh digital culture ministry uh to push back on skepticism of official covid restrictions um and emil khan was designing this whole project to astroturf this youtube kind of uh, counterinsurgency program. So then we also exposed how he has been involved with Amnesty International, while at the same time, Emil Khan was also uh, participating in the Syrian dirty war, working with firms that were also associated with the White Helmets. We'll talk about that. Firms that were intelligence contractors like Incostrat and um, Zinc, et cetera, uh, to help create information operations on the ground in Syria um, to advance the counter, the, the insurgency against Damascus. And he even said at one point, I think in his bio, that he was embedded with jihadist groups. So this is the dark, the sort of shady figure that Paul Mason has been working with. And we were the target, the main target. This is They were brought together to hold an anti-gray zone summit in London, and they wanted to get 
kind of like a victims of gray zone memorial foundation where everyone who we've exposed from uh, Reuters and BBC media action, which we exposed as um, also British, like work getting secretly funding, covert funding from the British state to carry out information warfare operations or Bellingcat, which Mason referred to as Intel by proxy. They wanted to get them all together uh, along with BBC journalists who have smeared us and try to come up with some plan, but that's what was missing. They didn't know what they were going to do. So Aaron, um, I don't know. I don't know where to begin. I guess we could, we could throw up some emails on screen, but what was your reaction when you first read these emails? Well, let's recall again how this started. So Paul Mason, as you said, publishes that article calls for state action against us, right? Doesn't say exactly yeah. what that means, but he, you know, it's clear he wants us silenced. So then what happened was I actually wrote Paul Mason because he started following me on Twitter, which is odd, but he started following me and I think you as well and a bunch of the people who we associate with. And so I wrote him, I said, Paul, you know, do you want to come on to my podcast pushback and discuss uh, your calls to your calls for state action against the gray zone? And he, and he turned that down. And then, um, it turns out what he was really doing in response to my invitation was then plotting uh, against us. And if you look at the email header in those emails that we got leaked to us, it, it's headed, I provoked Aaron Maté. And what I just find striking about all of this is like, they're going through, they're, they're belaboring heavily what to do, how to respond to us, how to take us down. It never dawns on them. Why don't we write an article, put out a video debunking them on the issues where we think they're wrong why don't we take what they say because we write a lot max both you and i write a lot you yeah. publish a lot of articles at the gray zone so there's a whole lot of material to choose from on a whole bunch of different topics ukraine syria uh right. russia uh you know you name it latin america u.s foreign policy take what we say and debunk it refute it but that thought does not even occur to them because they're not actually interested in challenging anything we say. They can't challenge what, what we say. So the only avenues of engagement that they can entertain are simply how to sabotage us. And in the case of Paul Mason, that means not only trying to you know uh, smear us, call us names, which is standard, but also he's trying to collaborate with the British state. That's his open right, intent right, right, privately right. to take us down, to deplatform us, to put the financial squeeze, which is you know the only trick they have. And, and you've already faced that when you had to answer to a lawsuit brought, brought on behalf of a rich heiress uh, that you won, but that took up a lot of your time. And that's all right. people can do. Instead of engaging on the facts, is try to waste our time to get us tied up in litigation or smear us, call us names. Well, that's actually what I mean. That's actually what they call for. Um, let's 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 look at this email actually um, from uh, Emil Khan and Mason, and I think it really it, it, it's it, it, it it's presented as a, f a future action plan. Here it is uh, from Paul. Well, it's, this is between Paul Mason and Emil Khan. And so Emil Khan says on May 5th, I feel like there's a couple of options with these clowns. And, you know, if we're clowns, then why do you even need to spend so much energy? I mean, you can just, just dismiss us. Some sort of clever John Oliver style stunt that makes them a laughing stock. 
So they want to like sting us or something. I don't know. Basically, this is, uh, you know, he talks about the Sija sting. We don't have time to go into that, but they went after these these um, anti-war professors with a very elaborate sting and got one of them to like admit or like say some some things that were like mildly incriminating, but proved nothing. Um, it was pretty weak. And then full nuclear legal to squeeze them financially. So that's already been attempted with us. That's what yeah. that lawsuit was about. It was instrumentalized by many of the same people that Paul Mason and Emil Khan are dealing with, um, specifically the Bellingcat crowd. Um, I mean, I, I know that I know I even I know for a fact that people around that Bellingcat crew helped compose the legal brief, which was one of the crappiest briefs I ever read i mean it was just laughable um and then we won Recall, in the end. Yeah, let's just remind people what the theory of that case was uh the people who sued you were trying to hold you responsible we're not joking here we're trying to hold you legally responsible for what some other people said about them on twitter that somehow yep. it was your fault that this uh heiress who called herself a journalist who got repeatedly duped by people inside lebanon pretending as if they were giving her access to hezbollah when it looks like, at least from all available evidence, it was anything, but, and also just spread false information, which the gray zone mocked her for. So she was trying to sue you and the gray zone for what other people said about her on Twitter, which they blamed on you as a result of your factual debunking of her propaganda. That was the theory of that case. And it made it to court. It took up a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, I actually had to go to court uh, and we, you know, I had to lawyer up and whatnot. Um, and then the, the the judge's decision was it was just such a brutal takedown of the whole case. And this is a judge like when I showed up at court for the first time, there was a lady uh, pleading to get her dog back. She was the case before me because it had been taken off her lawn by the city. And that was what the judge in a municipal court was dealing with. And then when he got this case, he was just like, what the hell is this? Like a journalist suing a journalist in a city court. Um, so anyway. But the whole point is to just harass us. Um, and then you see here, uh, Mason responds. He's like, you know, they obviously want to go further. I mean, he, he says, relentless deplatforming, as with PayPal, compendium in Mint Press, and he means consortium in Mint Press, uh, and a kind of permanent rebuttal operation. Obviously, Mason can't be that rebuttal operation because he can't argue with us and he won't debate you. But, well, Max, and they acknowledge that, and, and we'll show this email later, but just, just remember this now for people watching. Later on, they say we should not try to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, yep. meaning yep. they don't want to argue with us. So he even acknowledges that. So by permanent rebuttal operation, I think he means permanent smear operation. You, definitely. And that already exists and has existed um, through the Bellingcat and Michael Weiss network. I mean, we've already always known that there was an intelligence-linked campaign against us, um, that the UK was kind of serving as the base of it. And I assume that's because US intelligence doesn't want to take responsibility for doing that to its own citizens, but I can't say for sure. But now we, again, have the receipts. That's the significance of this. It really does feel like vindication. And we should explain quickly, I mean, PayPal removed consortium news and mint press, independent outlets for no good reason. They've never explained why they did that. And in the last 48 hours, Jackson Hinkle and Wyatt Reed have both had their PayPal accounts removed 
Uh, they've been banned from PayPal without explanation. These are American citizens. Um, why it is not a Russian bot. Uh, he was just like working with me on my yard a few weeks ago. He's a real person. He's just, he's an American citizen. So the America, um, the U S is sanctioning its own citizens for things they say and their opinions. Jackson Hinkle is like a, you know, does a live stream like every day lives in LA. We don't know. There's no explanation for this. He was banned from Vimy from Venmo as well. So that's what Mason is proposing here. And this guy is, you know, uh, says he's a journalist. This is this is this is wild stuff. Um, so let's take a look at. I talked about this on Jimmy Dore. I'm sure everyone watching has seen this if they pay attention to the work we do. This is Paul Mason's influence map. So what is this, Aaron? <laughs> so this is, this is a map that. This is a map that Paul Mason himself. Uh, created where he's looking at essentially uh, a map of the British left and he's focusing on what he called what he sees as a nefarious influence on the British left. But what's crazy about it, I mean, you see names on here that you see in these kinds of charts. Like we've seen charts like the maps like this before from the same disinformation actors that target us here. But Mason takes it to an, a new level. If you go to the right where he actually includes entire ethnic communities inside yeah. his map. And the whole Scottish nation. And the whole Scottish nation. So, I don't know so Muslim communities in the upper right-hand corner, then the young network left, you yeah. know, uh, which is like everyone who reads Mason's columns, um, maybe. And then the labor left, trade unions, who Mason claims to represent, black community, then you have Scottish nationalism. So the black community is really... Uh, being positioned here along with the Muslim community, all these key labor constituencies as targets of, or not targets of, but useful idiots for what you see on the left. The Chinese government, the Russian government, RT and Sputnik. Then you have, uh, you know, the pro-China, I guess what he would call the pro-Beijing crowd in the upper left-hand corner. And then, in, and, and somehow that like Diane Abbott is, is, is her name is there, but there's no arrow connecting her to anything. She's just there. Then in the member of parliament. Yeah. I mean, she is a member of parliament who is supportive of Jeremy Corbyn. Then you, <laughs> this is, this is good in the lower left-hand corner. You have campists. Um, and you know, it's not referring to fans of Lee camp, I don't think, but, uh, it's just there. There's no arrow there. It's just campists, but at the center of it all, in, is Jeremy Corbyn. And this is someone that Mason said he was a supporter of, and he obviously sees Corbyn as the, the heart of left-wing darkness, just the, 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 the molten core of evil in the UK that is corrupting all these communities and uh, is himself an agent of Russian and Chinese interests. Because Corbyn actually has been out there, unlike Bernie, in opposing this insane proxy war and supporting Julian Assange and doing what an actual progressive anti-war leader, what we would expect them to do. So Mason really sees everything connected to Corbyn as in need of neutralization. And what's amazing is that Paul Mason publicly pretended to be a Jeremy Corbyn supporter, claimed to be one of his biggest uh, celebrity uh, advocates. I mean, he was out there on TV constantly 
uh, sort of speaking on behalf of the Corbyn campaign at times. But meanwhile, and he was caught on tape by, I think, The Sun, a British tabloid, actually plotting about ways to undermine Jeremy Corbyn, as so many, many, so many people in the Labour Party did, to the point where in the 2017 elections, when Corbyn was just a few thousand votes away from winning, uh, becoming the prime minister of Britain, it was exposed how many people inside his own party worked to prevent that from happening. And Mason, whether he was in that camp at that point or not, has certainly become in that camp since, as evidenced by this map. Yeah, so this map really is a window into the mind of someone, into a mind that isn't really functioning properly. Um, there's just a level of mania to all of this and to the emails between Khan and Mason. And it's very clear that they descended into paranoia about their opponents. And it's a projection. They're projecting their own malevolent perspective and their own real involvement with spook elements onto their enemies. What I mean is that they can't imagine that an outlet like the gray zone or consortium news or any of the people on that chart could actually have come to the positions that they're advancing or do the journalistic work they're doing without being directed by the Kremlin or the communist party of China and or sponsored by those elements. And that's because that's how they function. That's how they operate. That's why they do what they do. And so they projected onto everyone else. As Kit Clarenberg said, they're living in a wilderness of mirrors. And here's Paul Mason. I mean, he's even like, you can really see how he's kind of lost it from this exchange with none other than Owen Jones, who's sort of the voice of the, the respectable left in the UK. He's like, he's like the the Justin Bieber poster child of what the British establishment and like that everyone in the house of Lords wants a leftist to be, because they're totally non-threatening and they roll over for all the attacks. And even Owen Jones is just pummeling the crap out of Paul Mason, who this is, this is after uh, Mason had published his call for state action against us. Do you think that all labor figures who support arming Saudi Arabia, who are on record supporting arming, arming Saudi Arabia as it carpet bombs Yemen, I'm including people who supported selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, like Luke Akers, who sits on the National Executive Committee. And I also mean dozens, and we're talking dozens of Labour MPs who voted in 2016. They defied the whip when Jeremy Corbyn put down a motion, although can't remember, the motion was alarming Saudi Arabia. Do you think they should be kicked out of the Labour Party? If you support the head of What? What? Oh, okay. You Whoops. Are you saying Luke Akers should be kicked out of the Labour Party? No, I, 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 no I'm not. You're the one who's saying people should be kicked yeah, out of the Labour Party. Sure. They're the I one who's the problem. We're doing yeah, the worst humanitarian crisis on earth. They, they are murdering yeah. children. So just, you know, if, if you're having trouble understanding, like Jones nails him by um, asking if people should be kicked out of the Labour Party for supporting the massive human rights crime against Yemen, which the UK is supporting. But Mason has been called has called for kicking people out of the Labour Party for, in in his opinion, supporting the Russian invasion of Ukraine. 
we're developing some, from some understanding here. There are many differences that are containable within the Labour Party, but for me, the difference that says NATO is the aggressor in uh, in the Ukraine crisis is not containable because oh. Russia. So it's not even supporting Russia's invasion. It's just saying NATO is the aggressor. If you say NATO is the aggressor, Paul Mason says you should be kicked out of labor. A genocidal war. Right. Okay. Why? So that's, yeah, that's my yeah. politics. That's my opinion. Why is the life of a Yemeni so much lower uh, than that of a Ukrainian? Go, go again. So, Owen, this is the Putin talking point. No. So, what? <laughs> are you, how dare you? Ukraine is racist. He called him a Putin supporter. Russian aggression. I support no, arming Ukraine support. against Good. Russian aggression. Okay. On Yemen, where I've been to a Yemeni refugee camp, I've met Yemeni refugee children who drew pictures yep. of their homes being bombed. So you were asking me, weapons. what's the difference? There is I'm no difference between the life of a Ukrainian and right. no difference. So I'm asking you, why don't you support booting out Labour MPs who support arming a head chopping, a dictator that beheads people like myself for being gay and Michael, that brutalizes women, that exports international extremism and carpet bombs Yemen. Why are those people in the broad church of the Labour Party legitimate political actors and the people you're describing in Ukraine are? Why? No answer. <laughs> I mean good questions. Well he nailed them. Yeah, he nailed them there. He can't answer because he's being exposed as a complete hypocrite and uh, have advancing a completely empty McCarthyite argument that people should be kicked out for <laughs> even challenging the notion that NATO is culpable for the Ukraine crisis. Uh, wow. Wow. So we got, a, 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 I mean, a lot to cover still. Um, I don't know if there's, well, let's, let's, let's look at, th at this one. This isn't it. This this email opens up a lot of avenues for discussion, um, and I think it it goes into um, the attack on academics like David Miller, mm -hmm. who, uh, like Pierce Robinson, like the 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 um, Tara McCormick. This whole collective of of academics who have sought to kind of bust the British state's propaganda, which is disseminated through mainstream tabloid media in the UK on Syria, on Russia, just the whole chorus of new cold war and interventionist propaganda. There's a small collective of, of uh, academics that call themselves the working group on propaganda and they've been targeted relentlessly. And here you have Paul Mason saying, the far left rogue academics is who I'm after. He's referring to them. There's a progression. White helmets, anti-Semitism was a scam and now Bucha was a false flag. What I believe is happening is the emergence of a left anti-imperialist identity and the danger is it will be attractive because liberalism doesn't know how to counter it. And he goes on to point to Jeremy Corbyn as a key threat because he's starting a new party with Laura Pidcock, according to Mason. I don't think there's any evidence for that. No, I don't, yeah. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. And then he said, Emma has tipped him off to the current activities of these uh, rogue academics. Emma, referring to Emma Bryant, I really hadn't 
didn't know much about Emma Bryant before, except that somehow she wound up on Democracy Now. Um, <laughs> and the important political task is to quarantine their soft influencers and expose, stigmatize the hard ideologists. So again, you know, secret plotting uh, against everyone he claims, you know, and uh, against Corbyn and, and, you know, an attack on academics for having the wrong opinions and, and Emma Bryan has been, has, has been kind of advising him. She claims to be, she works in academia. She had a, a job at Bard and she claims to be one of these counter disinformation people sort of, she's sort of like, if you took Nina Jankowitz, I assume if you take Nina Jankowitz's off Broadway shtick away, then that would be like Emma Bryant. <laughs> Um, but the, but it's uh, all spelled out here. Yeah, the the assault on these professors in the UK, like it's it's honestly it's worth a book. It's this is a small group who, as Max said, have been challenging the, the dominant narratives around the Syria dirty war and other national security state areas. And the problem that the national security state and its lackeys like Paul Mason face is that they've been repeatedly vindicated. Uh, especially when the OPCW whistleblowers emerged, because even before the OPCW whistleblowers came out, these academics, uh, Piers Robinson, Tim Hayward, others, were raising questions about the serious holes in the official story and the evidentiary gaps. Right. And then they received actually the first leak that came out of the OPCW, that engineering report from Ian Henderson, which concluded that contrary to what the OPCW said publicly, that the cylinders found in Duma, the gas cylinders, were not dropped from the sky, but were manually placed, meaning that they were placed there on the ground, meaning that the whole thing was staged. And so since then, there's been a huge wave of attacks on them. British newspapers have written all these hit pieces on them. David Miller, who's a member of the group, he was fired from his job over alleged anti-Semitism. Even though an internal investigation found that he committed no anti-Semitism, he's basically critical of Israel. Uh, Piers Robinson, another member of the group, uh, he was forced out of his position. Uh, Tim Hayward, who is another member, recently there was a BBC documentary attempting to portray him as some sort of Kremlin asset. And they tracked yeah. down two students in his class who didn't like what he was saying about Syria <laughs> and Ukraine. And they shaped a whole documentary around that, the fact that like two students disagreed with him. And the obvious aim of the documentary is to get him fired for allegedly spreading Russian disinformation. Uh, and by the way, this documentary was produced by Chloe Hedgeman-Teo, who was mentioned in these Paul Mason emails. He seems to be in touch with her or he, he knows of her. And she is the... Well, he wants her to participate in the anti-gray zone summit that they yes. are planning. And she's experienced in that. And she's experienced in that because she produced, before this uh, uh, episode that she did, she did a whole podcast series about Duma and the OPCW scandal. And her remit was, was basically to discredit the OPCW whistleblowers to discredit the academics and to discredit us. And there was a long documentary series that she produced with that aim. We've already debunked it. We sent her questions about the glaring holes in her podcast, which she never answered, of course, because she can't. And most tellingly about her, in she tries to attack Tim Hayward and the Gray Zone for claiming that the White Helmets, a UK state-funded propaganda organization, took part in staging the hospital scene in Duma, she right. calls us conspiracy theorists for that. She never mentions, though, that the foremost authority on that is actually her own BBC colleague, Riam Delati, who did right. a long investigation, who spoke to people in Duma, and he concluded unequivocally that the Duma hospital scene was staged. And she's never, in all of her many podcast episodes on this topic, attacking us, 
She's never once acknowledged her own colleagues reporting, which says everything you need to know about her. Right. And I mean, <laughs> that was such an insane series. It was like 11 parts. It was so desperate. There was no public, there was, there was like no public interest that I could think of relating to it. It wasn't about, you know, you, you have these, these, these long um, Netflix series or Hulu series or a podcast series on something like the Zodiac killer, something John Benet Ramsey, something that everyone experienced or they know about. But then you take this obscure individual, James Lemersurier, who founded the White Helmets. It wasn't like some Syrians just got together in the rubble and said, you know what, let's form a rescue group uh, as if they didn't already have that. No, this was an information warfare operation by a apparent former military intelligence or current military intelligence uh, officer who founded a firm funded by the US government and British government to the tune of over a hundred million dollars the money disappeared into various shell companies. The Dutch government started getting upset and auditing it. Then mainstream Dutch media exposed that the money essentially had disappeared. This was after James Lemercier either fell or jumped off a balcony above his house. After uh, Turkish media reported on loud fights with his wife in Istanbul. And somehow this individual who was involved in a dirty war that created until Ukraine, one of the worst refugee crises of our time. And who, who also was working hand in glove with Syria's wing of Al Qaeda and various other extremist groups that were drenched in blood, that this character somehow merited an 11 part investigation to attack everyone who had criticized him and paint them all as Russian stooges. This is hilarious. It's not hilarious, though. It's actually disturbing because it shows you what BBC really is. And as we reported, BBC's charitable arm, BBC Media Action, was secretly taking payments from the UK Foreign Office to run programs, not just in Russia, but in the eastern Donbass region of Ukraine to set up uh, media fronts in order to wage information warfare on Russia. BBC also recently released its own hacked uh, images, a major tra tranche of hacked information, but it was about China and its supposed treatment of the Uyghurs. And this was welcomed by the British establishment. So some hacks are better than others. And uh, speaking of hacks, back to Emma Bryant. Um, so sort of an obscure character, but uh, you know she's wrapped up in all of this. And basically, She's trying to play uh, the victim here, even though she was clearly involved with Paul Mason and tipping him off on academics and advising him on his maniacal campaign to destroy all of his enemies. And she's on Twitter cl cl claiming uh, that she's under attack. She's mobilized the usual suspects uh, who have been lying about us and attacking us for years. And uh, I just got a letter from... Uh, and 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 Kit Clarenberg got one uh, from Luke Colburn, who is her lawyer, uh, telling us to cease and desist. Um, we've been appointed by Emma Bryant in relations to threats she's received. I think they were actually requests for email uh, for for a um, uh, interview or comment, and not threats uh, regarding the release of information obtained by a suspected hack. 
blah, 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 blah. Um, there's some very revealing stuff in this threatening letter that we got from a lawyer. Um, I'm just making my way through it. Well, essentially, I want to I want to find this part, but it's it's kind of a. It mentions that you know Paul Mason has this this chart, and that the chart has been publicized. But there's nothing that we said yet publicly that shows that Emma Bryant was involved in that chart. So why are they so con concerned about that chart? Uh, and why are they sending this? Uh, they just don't. This this lawyer doesn't want his client to be exposed for being involved in activities that the British public and the public as a whole needs to know about because these are deeply undemocratic activities and it is not illegal for us to report on real emails. We're not, we didn't, we didn't conduct any hacking operations. We didn't exfiltrate anything. We're just doing what the BBC has been doing or the intercept has been doing or any other publication when they get information that's in the public interest to report, they report it. And that's what we're doing. And, yeah, and if you're, you're going to spend your time trying to deplatform people, smear them, call them names, spread disinformation about them, then you can't be upset when if accurate information comes out about your activities that people report on it. That's just journalism. But yeah. uh, of course they're going to be upset because it's, it's humiliating. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I'm not, I know that the UK has much stricter speech laws than the United States. They don't have a first amendment like we have here. Yeah. Uh, they it's, it's a place where, you know, like if somebody writes something, if you're a Saudi Royal and someone writes something uh, negative about you, you take your lawsuit there. Anyway, it, it, it's a good place to sue someone for for, for uh, something they wrote about you, for slander or libel. It's much harder to do it in the U.S. But that requires us slandering or libeling Emma Bryant or any of these other figures. And I don't think we've done that. What we've done is clinically report on their slander and their libel in, and their plans to engage the U.K. state in an attack on journalists for opinions they don't like. And so I don't care what letter you send to me. You, This has been going on for too long. We have been, because we have been exposing these deceptions and because we have been telling the truth about the campaign to manufacture public consent for deeply destructive, pointless interventions, and proxy wars that are now leading the world into famine and global recession that we have been targeted for years by people posing as journalists or posing as good faith actors lying about us who are simultaneously working with elements of the intelligence services. I know that. And we now have the receipts. And what we have exposed is that we are not the th a threat to democracy. These people are. Paul Mason is a clear and present danger 
to whatever exists of British democracy. And in any decent society, it's he who would be relentlessly deplatformed. It is he who would be thrown out of every respectable forum. He would be fired from whatever job he has. He would not receive all these phony awards from NGOs. He would be barred by the Labour Party from running for office. But instead, we're going to see him continue to be promoted and continue to be defended by an establishment that's not accountable to the British left, let alone the British public at all. So that's the world we're living in, and we're going to keep resisting that. And I don't care what threatening letters you send me. And that's the only threat that's happened here. Kit Clarenberg didn't threaten anyone. We're being threatened. We're being threatened because they're afraid of us telling the truth. So that's my response. So I have here, Max, uh, the uh, second email in the list, which is one of uh, Paul Mason's initial. Let me see if I can make that bigger. Uh, let's see here. Does that make that easier? He basically um, lays out here um, his. Uh, he, he basically lays out here his big plans, what he wants to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. first, you know, he talks about that map of the what he calls the pro-Putin info smear. Uh, he and we talked about what he calls quote the British left Putin influencers. That's the map we showed. Yeah. Um, and uh, the second item, he says, we need to understand the layered nature of the operation. In Britain, my sense is pro-Kremlin people do it for belief. Pro-China people do it for money and kudos. Uh, I can show you how I think the PRC Influence Network works. He's got a whole theory of the case around that. Um, and uh, then he goes, Gray Zone is not just pushing disinformation. It is doxing and exposing counter-disinformation <laughs> actors. <laughs> Hence their attacks on Valent, which is uh, the spook firm of the guy he's speaking to. There's been uh, similar ops by others against British soft power institutions. What he means by, by that, I think, is we've been reporting on British soft, what he calls British soft power, like the Integrity Initiative, which is internal documents that have been leaked showing information warfare, aka propaganda, directed at the British public and the Western public. I think that's what he's referring to there. <laughs> and then this is my favorite part. Uh, he goes, this is where he entertains his like James Bond spy fantasies. This makes me believe the work should be done by white label organizations operating with firm infosec, signal, proton mail, clean phones. <laughs> okay. So he, what is he envisioning that we're gonna like we're gonna like spy on him and like we're gonna follow him in the streets? We need to like, you know act in like cutthroat fashion, use clean phones. Like he's, he has his fantasy of being like a, a super spy. This is my favorite part too, because Paul Mason, he was a tech reporter. He was like an IT reporter in the nineties. And then he wrote this book about how smartphones will uh, drive the Marxist revolution of the future along with electric cars and everything else. And like infinity pools uh, you know, Bluetooth infinity pools. <laughs> and here he is talking about the need for top OPSEC. You know, these guys always still have to talk about great OPSEC. And apparently, I mean, he, now he's now whining that his email got hacked. I don't know what happened, but Nick Waters from Bellingcat 
went off on Mason publicly and called him a Walter Mitty character who doesn't know how to use two-factor authentic authentication. So, yes. so much for your clean phones, Mason. Yes, Fucking and the reason Nick Waters of Bellingcat, <laughs> the reason Nick Waters of Bellingcat got so upset is because of what Mason says next. This is part of what he says about Bellingcat. He says, just as Bellingcat get a steady stream of intel from Western agencies, I suspect the attacks on you and others are fed by Russian and Chinese intel, which will include not just hacking, but electronic warfare and human. So <laughs> he said human. I mean, who the hell says that? <laughs> like if you're but a journalist, he, he's saying, you know, it's the, it's the code for human intelligence. Who the hell talks like that in private? <laughs> Unless you think that you're in like a John le Carre novel. And also, what what does that mean that we're gonna like send some like Chinese spies after him? <laughs> like we're gonna send a Chinese honey trap that like, you know, just like uh, practiced on Eric Swalwell and now is like <laughs> gonna seduce Mason. But the one accurate thing he says when he says the Bellingcat gets a steady stream of intel from Western agencies. Yes, Paul Mason. That's the one accurate thing you probably say in this archive. And that is why Bellingcat is so upset with him and why Bellingcat people are denouncing him. is Because, yes, as we've been saying for a long time, Bellingcat does get a steady stream of intel and disinformation from Western agencies. And it's great to see Paul Mason agree with us, albeit when he's speaking in private. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this uh one, if this is true or not, that he was honey trapped by Molly Crab Apple in Greece. But uh, I know that they hung out and I've, I was trying to find this tweet by Paul Mason where he was trying to um, he was asking this some porn actor to come to Greece and said, like, the revolution is happening. Come. And uh, but I couldn't find it because he just blocked me. So what he'd been doing for the past week, he'd blocked me for years because, you know, every once in a while it was just fun to mock crazy stuff he would say about the need to further subsidize the arms industry in the UK uh, for the left from the left. Um, and then he unblocked me when he went on this crazy disinformation, went down the disinformation rabbit hole and he thought he was monitoring all of us, but now he's got all of his tweets. Uh, you know, they're all protected. You can't reply. They're all getting ratioed. And he, has is, is now blocking us so he can't monitor us anymore um but what 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 is that going to do like what we say in public is what we mean what is he what is he thinking here like what does he think he's going to get like what's his real strategy i i still don't know what he thought he was doing he wanted to see this uh, evolve into like a collective of western information warriors who are collaborating to, I guess, I don't know. Again, since he doesn't want to also rebut us, as he says, we should not go toe to toe with them on facts. He was just basically trying to promote a intelligence sanctioned uh, disinformation operation against this. And the, and the hoping really that we'd get shut down financially. I, I think, I think that's yeah. ultimately what his goal was. That somehow he, he could trigger something that could, that could end up in that. Well, it ain't over. I mean, you're just watching so many organizations that are independent be taken off paypal they're demonetized on youtube taken off youtube i just pu published a video that was completely legitimate it was about a report uh, our colleague jeremy lafredo did in davos about uh how davos was 
promoting the war in Ukraine and they'd set up a Russian war crimes house funded by a Ukrainian billionaire. There was nothing controversial in it, but they demonetized that. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's still possible that they could still attempt something. Uh, so even though we've exposed this, it doesn't matter what, 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 what needs to happen here is progressive media or anti-establishment media needs to cover this. We can't be the only ones covering it. And we know that mainstream media somehow won't cover this. I mean, look at the last few pieces Kit Clarenberg has published for us. They're, they're just stunning reports on how the UK is run, how intelligence-linked elements, including former MI6 director Richard Dearlove, helped instrumentalize Brexit to get Boris Johnson installed in Whitehall and how they were beginning to plot against Boris because they considered him to be inept. I mean, this is a guy, Boris Johnson, who can't work at home because there's too much cheese in his refrigerator and he gets distracted by cheese. So they realized that. And what happened? Well, a no confidence vote. So, I mean, if you had read Operation Kit piece on Operation Surprise, you wouldn't have been surprised by what's happening to Boris Johnson. These are uh, basically vivisections of the British deep state. And the British press has not touched them. They haven't touched them. It's amazing the discipline that they show. And you would think like the Guardian would want to report on that because it shows how Remain elements, pro-Remain elements, anti-Brexit elements were spied on. Uh, her plans were laid to spy on them, how the civil service was infiltrated by assets and uh, corrupted and how secret material was spirited out to the British press. Uh, I mean, illegal activities, violations of the Official Secret Act are all revealed there and the British press has not touched it. So I guess I don't expect them to touch this either. Um, they only report hacks on, I guess if Paul Mason were like, if we were Chinese Uyghurs, then they would report on it. Any more emails we should uh, cover, Aaron? You're um, muted, look, by the way. I'd be remiss not to show one of my favorites, where again, it's about Bellingcat. And we've already talked about this a lot online, but it's just so funny where he's admitting what is obvious to everybody and what we've been saying for a long time. But here comes from someone who uh, knows Bellingcat, who uh, he references being in touch with Nick Waters of Bellingcat who is the Bellingcat member who got really mad at him publicly for saying this. Um, uh, so if you look at the bottom, uh, Paul Mason says, I'm keen to do this. Emma Bryan has some of it. Chloe, Hadge Mateo, BBC, we've mentioned her. She was the she did that documentary attacking us and the academics and the OPCW whistleblowers, uh, plus the various think tanks. What it also really needs, according to Paul Mason, what it also really needs what it really also needs is Intel service input by proxy, e.g. Bellingcat. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, uh, and uh, the guy who he's speaking to, Khan, says it would be good to have Bellingcat in a room with others to discuss this. So note how also Khan does not dispute what Paul Mason says about Bellingcat being Intel service by proxy because they all know exactly what Bellingcat is. It's just hilarious to see someone who's on their side who works with them to finally admit it well why is that significant 
because there's been a relentless campaign in the Western media to portray Bellingcat as this sort of like, you know, group of uh, digital Sherlock's, as you often put it, Max, uh, open source, just going off of the internet to somehow always end up accusing official enemies of wrongdoing, uh, all while ignoring the significant funding that Bellingcat gets from the U.S. Uh, state and its allies and firms that profit off of the very regime change wars that Bellingcat is so often deployed to promote. And so Bellingcat always takes umbrage with us saying that it works with Western Intel. But here is Paul Mason uh, privately admitting it. Yeah, there's, ac there's actually a, a, a moment that I want to revisit that I think I, I think the reporter responsible for this insane interview attempt or gotcha moment uh, needs to be called out on the mat for this. Now um, let's watch. This is Alistair Bunkle. Who's like, you know, sky news is favorite uh, disinformation artist. And he's confronting the Russian ambassador because the Russian ambassador had called Bellingcat an arm of the British deep state. And he thinks this is like a gotcha interview. Ambassador accused Bellingcat of being an arm of the British dark state. But when dark state. said he couldn't provide any evidence of that claim. You accuse Bellingcat of being an arm of the British state. You accuse Bellingcat of being an arm of the British state, but you say you've got no evidence for it. And yet you, you, you criticize the British government for not having any evidence for the Scripple claims, but you weren't able to present any evidence for some of your, some of your claims. What evidence do you have that Bellingcat is an arm of the state? So, I mean, it's, it's telling that, uh, that, uh, the sky news journalist has been sent to defend Bellingcat against a Russian ambassador's claims, but now it's pretty clear. I mean, now we can pretty much, we can pretty much see how Bellingcat is referred to in private by, um, by Paul Mason, who wants to recruit them for a a um, information warfare operation against the Gray Zone, and I guess uh, Aaron seems to have uh, taken a break for a second. He's going to be back momentarily. I think this might be a good segue into Bellingcat and its origin story. Aaron's back. Welcome back. Um, Aaron, I was saying this would be a good segue, I think, for uh, kind of a history on Bellingcat and why Paul Mason and Emil Kant sought to engage them in this operation. Do you think, you know, is there anything else you wanted to get out of the Mason emails before we took it there? Well, should we just mention that he also messaged Nina Jankowitz? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, I, I always I, I kind of forget about this. Well, it wasn't him; it was actually um, Emil Khan okay. who went and consulted okay. Nina Jankowitz. Um, you know, and they also <laughs> they call they call for us to be uh, deplatformed by getting an Ofcom report done on us. But we're not British media, and we're online media. Ofcom relates to broadcast media in the UK, so they don't even know how Ofcom works. Um, I think, yeah, actually there are a few points we should address um, before. Well, let's, 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 let's get this Nina Jankowitz email on screen just cause it's so, it's so hilarious. 
and this is from Emil Khan. Um, basically, they're talking about how to take down another independent outlet, Consortium News, that they seem obsessed with. Message Nina Jankowitz on this. She's now leading some efforts at UHDHS, USDHS. So they've been in touch for some time, Emil Khan and, and Nina Jankowitz. Emil Khan, remember, is, gets funding from the foreign office and USAID to run information warfare operations or consult on them. She's going to ask around, but thinks it is useful idiots rather than funding. In other words, consortium news are useful idiots for Russia. That's why they questioned events like Bucha. I'm not so sure. And I think that he's not so sure. So he thinks it might, they might actually be sponsored by Russia, that the gap in output between 2005 and 2011 is of a lot of interest. And I see a few very familiar names on the board. So what do you think the significance of Nina Jankowitz being involved here is? Well, look, we saw, I mean, what a cartoonish figure she is. And that, contrary to her spin, is what led to her ousters because it was just so ridiculous that you had someone who was such a partisan hack and so cartoonish in her behavior heading a disinformation board, which, by the way, is a joke to begin with, no matter who heads it. But it was so embarrassing for them that she had to go. And it speaks to the kind of people that are involved in this kind of paranoid disinformation racket. Right. Where it's their life mission just to monitor dissenting voices and to, again, instead of putting out rebuttals, which anybody could do, for example, we've done a lot of reporting on the OPCW scandal. If you think we're wrong, you could just rebut us, which nobody has done. And nobody will ever do because the facts are actually so overwhelming. Instead of that, they have to come up with some, um, they consult with each other with their theories about are they funded by Russia or not? Or are they just useful idiots? I mean, it doesn't occur to them that actually we come by our views honestly based on facts because they don't exist in that realm. They exist in the realm of serving the state. And it's just a funny, uh, it's just a funny commentary that you have people like Paul Mason with all of his delusions and his maps in the UK and people like Nina Jankowitz uh, with her, you know, various theories about, I mean, what she said about us, she's called us a part of a Russian influence operation. They all think the same way. Yeah. And they're all cartoonish in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. She called for us to be censored. Um, I didn't even, I didn't even really know who she was until she was appointed minister of truth. And then I went back and said, what did she say about us over the years? And there it was. Um, this is actually one of the more disturbing emails and it's, uh, it really highlights how much they're trying, how, the lengths they're trying to go to to involve the British state in an attack on independent media. So this is from Emil Khan to Paul Mason. I just spoke to a friend at the National Security Council Communications Directorate. They've been tasked with hybrid threats. He says the government would not want to send someone to a meeting, the anti-gray zone summit, as it could jeopardize outcomes later. That's that's What does that mean, jeopardize outcomes later? Well, that's such a telling statement because notice that this person from the government didn't say we're not coming because it's not appropriate for us to be participating in smear campaigns against journalists. They're saying we're not coming because it would jeopardize outcomes later. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll find well, out. Well, what, what could it mean? It could only it could mean one of two things. Number one, that they don't want uh, government 
imprimatur on the campaign. Uh, they don't want direct government fingerprints on it and they want to be behind the scenes. Or number two, they are already involved in something and they don't want to complicate that. Either one is disturbing. So then, go ahead. Well, no, 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 go ahead. Well, then he says he's separately asking the new FCDO disinfo team. This is the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. Their version of the State Department it has a new disinfo team, which is their version of the Department of Homeland Security Disinformation Governance Board. And the goal is to spread disinformation and take down anyone who gets in the way of the state's objectives. So I don't, we don't know what happened there. And then we'll shoot you a draft invite text. Do we, do we have that text? We should, we should throw, we should, we should really read. We that do. Text. I'll get that. I'll get that. Yeah, get that up on screen. And then uh, we should also, yeah, here it is. I got it. This is amazing. So here's the <laughs> invite. It, it's like, uh, it's not exactly like a wedding or bar mitzvah invitation. It's like, if you're invited to this, something is seriously wrong with you. <laughs> and you know, you have time for this shit. I mean, you have to be so far gone. Is this it? Yeah, this is it. Okay, dear XX, we're getting in touch because like us, you have been targeted by a network of pro-Russian trolls. Oh my God. If you have publicly engaged on issues such as the Syrian regime's use of chemical weapons, the US alt-right or COVID denial, chances are you have caught their attention. I can't, I wonder who these trolls are. The network revolves around the outlet known as Gray Zone. They don't even say the Gray Zone or just like Gray Zone. It includes a dozen or so individuals who use online intimidation, bullying, and harassment to promote pro Kremlin talking points. Wait, so how do we intimidate? Like to promote the talking points, we have to intimidate people. Like we can't just say it. I don't. I don't get that. The, really yeah, bad. How writing. do we bully people? I'd love to be told how we like an outlet of like, you know, a very small group of people. How we bully people? What exactly do we do? And how do we harass people? Yeah, well, it's 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 like uh, how what Taylor Lorenz says about how Nina Jankowitz was her demise, which was like the right wing outlets started to initiate a campaign of uh, writing about her, which was bullying, basically like doing oh yeah, digging up stories from her past and digging up videos and things she said, bullying, basically doing reporting and journalism was framed as harassment and bullying. It's like this whole way that post the postmodernist conception of violence is used by media elites and you know even now the intelligence services to play the victim when people actually call them out for their bullshit or do legitimate journalism about them. They present themselves as journalists when in fact they are an information operation of a dictatorship that sees a free press as a threat. That's a projection if I ever heard one. I mean, isn't that exactly what Paul Mason is? And he's writing it to people like Bellingcat who are officially information operations of the state <laughs> with the aim of attacking dissenting voices. It's not even close. Since the invasion of Ukraine, this network has swung into action behind the Kremlin's narrative. So we swung into action 
Like, guys, it's time. Like, the network has to get into action. Like, activate. Like, we're like we're all going to get our rings together. It's like Voltron. I, I, you remember that 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 call we had where we got our rings together, Aaron, with, with like <laughs> Wyatt and Alex Rubenstein, and I don't know who else is in this. <laughs> okay, this is this is this is the part which shows what they're really like up to. Social media platforms and governments have identified the RT. Why is it the RT? Like, this is just horrible. Sputnik, et cetera. Okay, so et cetera could be anything. As Russian state-affiliated outlets and taken action accordingly. Gray Zone, however, has avoided scrutiny. That's because we're not Russian state-affiliated, you dumbass. Like, so what are they going to do? Since we have all attracted the attention of this network and are a bunch of whiny little crying bitches. We are proposing a meeting to compare notes to get a sense of who they are targeting. Basically, they're trying to get a like support group together. It's like they all are going to have like a cuddle puddle and cry about being wounded by the gray zone because we actually expose what they're up to. The methods they are using, journalism, like you know the method. What like what do we have some secret method that we that you don't know about? Like we just like write on a WordPress site and do videos like we're doing now. Like, do you not do you not know how to do a live stream? Like you just get StreamYard and you talk into a mic and people watch you. Yeah, do it, yeah. Do it, that's the methods we're using. We use writing and video and um, I don't know if we read, if, if I ever get like time away from Twitter, I might read a book. I don't <laughs> get as much reading done as I used to. So books are part of our uh, Kremlin toolkit. Twitter, yeah, you, I have two thumbs. And what if any options are available to us to respond? Well, I have an option for you to respond. Write an article or do your own video saying something back to us or debate us. But no, you have to conjure up some phony scenario that paints us as a Russian influence operation and then get us investigated and then get us all you know, taken out to a yard and, 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 and shot and thrown in a hole. I don't know. Why is it so hard for you to use the methods we use against us? Again, that's just an extraordinary statement. What if any options are available to respond? That means that they're already foreclosing the option that everybody has, which is to speak publicly and use facts and arguments. That option is already being taken off of the table uh, if they're if it's not obvious to them right there. That's not an, even an option to them. They have to find up. They have to come up with something else. And you know what's funny too is like they talk about us harassing people and uh, we've attracted their attention. In my experience, we usually talk about these people if they attack us first or if they put out false information. So, so for yeah. example, Bellingcat. What have we said about Bellingcat? We exposed that Bellingcat put out a scam letter about an OPCW whistleblower. Yep. They yep. put an article say, claiming that uh, me and you and other journalists were implicated in covering up some letter that they said disproved all the OPCW whistleblowers uh, claims. Uh, and they produced a draft of this letter, uh, which they said somehow debunked everything that the OPCW whistleblowers said, which it didn't. It actually barely addressed it. But, but, but on top of the fact, the letter, as we exposed based on leaked documents that we got, didn't even exist. It was never actually sent. So Bellingham was putting out a fake letter and basically accusing us of covering it up even though the letter didn't yeah. actually exist. So yeah. that's the kind of stuff we've done when it comes to Bellingcat. And so that's when he talks about we've harassed them and targeted them. That's what he means is we've actually exposed them to be liars. And we usually, what we do is 
we expose people after they harass us. I mean, we get harassed. I've been harassed for years. And, you know, the Israel lobbies harassed me, of course, because of my work on Palestine. But it was really when I started exposing the Syrian white helmets as an info information warfare, psychological warfare operation designed to stimulate public support for military intervention in Syria in around like, I think it was September 2016 that I started getting harassed. But I wasn't harassed after I published my two-part investigation into the White Helmets. I was harassed before. When once word got out that I was doing this investigation, this same network, this intelligence-linked network in the UK started trying to intimidate me against publishing journalism. And figures like Idris Ahmad, from, who's at Sterling University, who's clearly a part of this network and who's now out there going to bat for Emma Bryant and cooking up lies about us being some Kremlin operation as he always does. He called me to threaten me, uh, violently threaten me against publishing journalism. And this is someone who faced no consequence for this. Let me play a recording. I was walking down the street in Belfast when I got this call with uh, our colleague and friend, Dan Cohen. And I said, Dan, re record, because I was already getting a wave of harassment and I got a, I saw a call from a strange number. I'm like, I'm going to record this. And it was him. And this is uh, something that everyone should listen to, to understand what we've been dealing with for years and what we're exposing here, which is this operation. And it definitely involves the state, in my opinion. Listen to this. There's just audio. Do you think I'm going to let you go? Who is it? Understand? Hello? Understand, you motherfucker. Understand, you son of a whore. You piece of shit, you think you can talk me? You coward. Who's this? So that, that's Idris Ahmad, uh, Pulse Media. Uh, you can see him on Twitter lying about us constantly, harassing us. He was involved. He's, he, you know, any smear piece about me, you know, they, they'll, they'll get dirt from him uh, and a small network of people who are involved in promoting the Syrian dirty war. And I guarantee that all of these intelligence contractors that were behind the white, white helmets have been involved in coordinating this campaign with them and that they they had their little, they already had anti-gray zone summits because what we're doing is dangerous to them. We're doing just straight up investigative journalism on their scams and deceptions. And look at what was done to Julian Assange. I'm not comparing myself to him or comparing... Aaron to him. It's just an example of what the state and its assets are capable of doing and willing to do to a journalist who threatens them by publishing facts. They want to kill Julian Assange. They want him to die slowly in jail, and they want us all to see it take place so that we're afraid of them. Remember, and just once again, that call came to me before I published an article. 
And this character still got a university position and is still out there writing in uh, New York Review of Books and, else, and, and, and other August publications. No one cares about that. If I did that, I would be in deep trouble. They're, yeah. they're harassing us. As I said, they're the threat to democracy. They're the ones who should be relentlessly deplatformed for what they've done. They're the ones bullying. They're the ones intimidating. They're the ones using phony slap lawsuits to try to shut us down. They're the ones lying and they want the world to be plunged into a third world war. It's so interesting to me how much of this comes from the UK. So that guy you mentioned, he's a professor at a UK university, I think in, in Scotland or something or. Um, yeah. And uh, and all the you know the, the the documentary on the BBC attacking us and the academics and the OPCW whistleblowers, Bellingcat, that's out of the UK. If you look at, for example, how the state apparatus has responded to the OPCW whistleblower scandal in the US. By the, the way, of course, he's at New Lines or Spook Lines. New Lines, yeah, that's a that's a this really weird uh, magazine funded by a think tank that's associated with Fairfax University, which is appears to be basically like a front school for money laundering or for, or for uh, it, it's just like a, like, like a front school to justify this think tank essentially. Cause it's not yeah. even pr properly. It's like, or it's been at risk of losing its academic credentials, but you want to talk about shady funding. I mean, read, uh, we have a report on new lines at the gray zone. And uh, I mean, Fairfax university was a diploma mill. I think it was like uh, run by the Gulenists for a while. And then New Lines comes in and it uses it as a front for a multi-million dollar think tank operation. <sighs> I think, th didn't they get millions of dollars from a poultry company? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Some like a, like a, a U.S. poultry company funds a lot of New Lines, which is strange. But in terms of the information operations about Syria, so much of it comes from the U.K. And you know, one thing I was thinking of, Cy Hirsch reported in, in one of his amazing articles in the London Review of Books exposing the Syria Dirty War. He reported that there um, was a classified annex to a Senate intelligence report about the attacks in Benghazi. And Benghazi, you know, the official story was that uh, the, uh, the violence there was because of a video and all that stuff. But really, the underreported story, and you've reported on this extensively, Max, was that the annex in Benghazi was being used to ferry weapons to Syria for the dirty war there. Right. So there was a Senate report about this, which confirmed that there was an agreement between the U.S. and Turkey to ship weapons to Syria via uh, Libya. But it also noted, and this is, comes from Cy Hirsch, Hirsch reported that to avoid congressional oversight in the U.S. of the, of the uh, dirty war program, Timber Sycamore, it was officially classified as a joint operation with the U.K., and the reason for that was not because the U.S. needed the U.K. You know, for its like, uh, for its like, uh, its smarts in running a dirty war, but it needed the U.K. because if you do it jointly with the U.K. intelligence services, then you can help avoid congressional oversight and keep so many things secret. So the fact that that means that the U.K. has been, you know, long time the lapdog of the U.S. as we know from the Iraq War, they were used to put out all the fake intelligence justifying the invasion, the so-called dossier, the dirty dossier, all that stuff. But by using the UK, the UK got a lot of authority over the Syria dirty war and a lot of responsibility. And that's why I think you see then so much of the information operations being farmed out to the UK. And that's why in the US, if you look at, for example, the OPCW scandal, very few people who are tied to the national security state really talk about it. 
They sort of avoid the issue. If you look at someone like Joby Warwick, who is a top reporter at the Washington Post, has a lot of sources inside U.S. intelligence. He wrote a whole book about Syria and chemical weapons called Redline. He doesn't even mention the OPCW whistleblowers. He mentions the Duma incident and says that he repeats the official narrative that Syria was guilty of dropping chlorine. He doesn't acknowledge the existence of the OPCW whistleblowers, even though so much of this book is about the OPCW. And it's, it's like writing a book about the JFK assassination and you don't mention the Zapruder tape. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's an unbelievable omission. So that's the approach of people in the U S in that circle is just completely ignoring the OPCW story, pretending it doesn't exist because if they acknowledge it exists, they have to engage with the facts and the facts are so overwhelmingly not on their side. They show that the OPCW found no evidence of a chemical attack in Syria. And they also show that that evidence was covered up in a sprawling deception. So the task of trying to discredit the whistleblowers and people who report on the on the leaks from the OPCW has really been farmed out to the UK. And I just think that reflects the junior relationship the UK has and also the integral role that it's played in the dirty war uh, as a result of the US trying to over to avoid oversight by its own Congress. Yeah, I mean, the Syria dirty war was such a very British operation. Uh, MI6 was all over it. As we now know, I remember, uh, man, what's his name? I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's sort of a sort of a British Muslim influencer talks. He was in Guantanamo and he was in Syria doing some stuff with Arar al-Sham, the Mozambique. Mozambique. Yeah. I actually met him a few times. I mean, he's a really nice guy. I like what he has to say about Guantanamo. Um, but I mean, his case really tells you everything you need to know about how the UK was operating in, in Syria. They arrest him when he returns. He was, he was like working with Arar al-Sham, which is an armed Islamist insurgent faction backed by, uh, Turkey mainly. And I mean, he wasn't fighting with them. He was just being a civilian and doing some I don't know what exactly what he was doing. He was arrested. They put him on trial and his defense in the trial, which was correct, was that I was there as an asset of the British MI6, MI5. And I was basically doing what you wanted people to do in the UK, in Syria. And they dropped all the all the charges against him and he walked. So there you have it. And the UK is doing the same thing in uh ukraine i mean look at the case of aiden asling he's a foreign fighter someone who had previously fought i think in rojava as a leftist and now he's in he's in uh ukraine he was captured in eastern ukraine by uh forces of the i think lugansk people's militia and they are set they've sentenced him to death why is he there because liz trust the foreign secretary encouraged for British citizens to go fight in Ukraine in March. Uh, so he was just doing what she wanted him to do. And Boris Johnson has been pushing the economic war on Russia harder than any foreign leader. And now, you know, they're trying to skirt their own sanctions. So the UK is just, it, it's such a dirty actor on the world stage. Um, I think that brings us to Bellingcat. Bellingcat, you know, they were there to do the uh, attribution uh, and on, on Duma. Right away, Elliot Higgins was attributing it to the Syrian government. Didn't, did Bellingcat have a role in the OPCW kind of official report? 
So, you know, as you say, Bellingcat from the start was blaming Syria and Elliot to the point where Elliot Higgins even deleted photos he was given uh, by people on the ground in Duma who were involved in staging the incident, I think, because the photos he initially published showed the cylinder uh, that was found on one of the roofs of the uh, of the two buildings. It was rotated the wrong way. So after they rotated it, yeah, uh, he deleted one of the pictures uh, that showed it being uh, deleted the wrong way. And his 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 justification for doing that was he said that he was worried about doxing someone in the photo, but the person you can oh, see in right. the photo of the cylinder was just their legs. It was just there. It was like it was like a it was like a, a like someone wearing jeans. So you could see someone in jeans, like just the legs. And Elliot Higgins' uh, explanation for deleting that photo was they was worried about doxing them when it was impossible to identify someone based on their legs. Well, their then, then the picture comes back online and the the canister is positioned in the way that Elliot Higgins wanted it positioned. Am I exactly right? Exactly right. Exactly right. Which raises the question, did he like reach out to his man in the white helmets and be like, yo, can you move that like 35 <laughs> degrees to the right? I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm like only half joking. Yeah, be because the initial position that it was photographed in, it wouldn't make sense for gas to disperse that way so that's why they had to that's why they had to flip it to make it look more believable so um it speaks to his role in you know not just attacking whistleblowers but participating in a cover-up and again the question is if you don't i mean the question, if you recognize the damning evidence that was covered up which showed that there was no chemical attack in duma and that this incident was staged then that raises the question of how these people actually died and we have no idea how they actually died. But if you are involved in pushing the official narrative, which is now known to be a scam, not just from the uh, what happened inside the uh, scenes where uh, people were filmed dead, but also in the hospital in Duma, which we everyone now acknowledges was staged. Riam Delati of the BBC acknowledges this. No one tries to defend the hospital scene anymore. So when you have so much staging and so much fraud, it raises the question, how do those people actually die? And those who are attacking the whistleblowers, like Bellingcat, are essentially covering that up and right, right. Uh, they're covering up a possible human rights crime. Absolutely. Uh, that could have been committed by insurgents. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's possible the Syrian government bombed uh, a building. Those people and, and then their bodies were placed there. That's possible. Right. But um, certainly by, th by thwarting any inquiry and trying to smear the whistleblowers, you're preventing any credible investigation from happening and from finding out what really happened. And so Bellingcat, what's funny is they say they're not involved with the OPCW investigation, but a really funny thing happened where for a while in their internal documents, they were saying that we partner with a whole bunch of organizations, including the OPCW. Okay. That was in their internal documents. Then the OPCW leaks emerged showing a major cover-up. And a few months later, later, Elliot Higgins deleted the reference to the OPCW from those internal documents. And he claimed that it was just a copy and paste error that actually it's not true that we're partnering with the OPCW. That was just a copy and paste error, except the only name that was, that was deleted from that list of organizations that Bell and Cat partners with was the OPCW. So somehow right. in a right. long list of organizations, it was just a copy and paste error that the OPCW ended up on that list of groups that Bell and Cat partners with. So I do think that when the OPCW claims that it consulted with outside experts. I do think Bellingcat is used for that purpose. And Bellingcat was absolutely used to launder this information about the whistleblowers when, as I mentioned earlier, Bellingcat uh, in the fall of 2020 published this document that it said was a letter sent to one of the OPCW whistleblowers. 
and they claimed it disproved all the whistleblowers claims we exposed that that letter was essentially a fraud because it never was actually sent it was a draft letter and when you look at its contents they don't refute anything at all we're but going too far down i mean we're we, we, it's it, it's we're going down the rabbit hole a little bit and these yeah. are details that relate to the wider narrative on Bellingcat, which is that it's Intel by proxy, as Paul Mason put it. Yes. And it's involved in everything in, in doing kind of the OSINT open source investigations, posing as this just collective of independent journalists. So they were, you know, immediately called in on Skripal to identify the two Russians who are said to be responsible for poisoning Sergei Skripal, who was the kind of turncoat former Russian spy who is given uh, asylum and citizenship in the UK along with his daughter. I th think he is, was a citizen. No need to go too much into the details, except that, you know, supposedly he was hit with Novichok, which only the Soviet Union made um, for some reason, not far from Porton Down. All kinds of weird details. His handler, Pablo Miller, was an associate at Orbis Intelligence with Christopher Steele. His name was put on a a D notice, which meant no Brit, no British media could report on it. We don't know where the Skripals are. They're completely missing. I would love to see them appear at the Grammys with uh, Zelensky <laughs> next year if he hasn't been cooed out yet. Looks like that's taking place. Um, but anyway, Bellingcat gets the passports somehow of these two Russian guys who came in there suspiciously. Uh, to Salisbury and said they were just there to like go on, you know, for tourism and look at swans. How did Bellingcat get those passports? I mean, there are so many, I don't know what you want to call it, like gray spots in Bellingcat's work that show that it's not just an open source intelligence group for the people. And it is the most, I think it's the most celebrated media organization in the West. I mean, no one does documentaries like the New York Times is the greatest paper. Like, but in the Bellingcat, it's like every year they're the subject of like three documentaries. They get like 15 awards from press organizations run by some like reclusive oligarch in the Netherlands. And they get uh, you know, they're just featured in a 60 minute special. I mean, is it fair to say they're the most celebrated media outfit in the West? Yes, and certainly the most whitewashed because nobody ever acknowledges who funds them, which is the U.S. government and various Western cutouts and spook firms that profit off of the Syria dirty war. They actually recently published the first time they first uh, for years. It's been secret how much they get from the National Endowment for Democracy, which is the U.S. government's regime change arm. They've kept that totally yeah, secret. Yeah. If you try to search for it on the NED database, Bellingcat wouldn't even come up. But Bellingcat finally acknowledged it. And the NED is their top funder. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll throw that up on screen. Uh, I just, I just tweeted this out <laughs> in response to, you can't see it because Paul Mason just blocked me. But his tweet was talking about how Bellingcat is one hundred percent independent, and he loves them for all the help they provided. He's trying to clean up the mess he created by calling <laughs> them Intel by proxy. And here's, here's Bellingcat's financials. National Endowment for Democracy is. Giving them gave them two hundred twelve thousand dollars in twenty twenty one. The National Endowment for Democracy is the regime change arm of the U.S. government. Has been involved in fomenting coup attempts from Venezuela to Nicaragua to Hong Kong to uh, pretty much anywhere there's a color revolution. They helped uh, even 
fixed the election or meddled in the election in Mongolia. They've, they're everywhere. They're 100% funded by the U.S. government. Um, Vovan and Lexis, the Russian pranksters who were just removed from YouTube because they embarrassed too many public officials, they got them, uh, Carl Gershman, longtime NED director, on the line, and he admitted that he has a network of activists in Russia that he can activate to assist uh, Belarus. They're opposing as Svetlana Tikhonovskaya, the Belarusian version of Juan Guaido, who's been sponsored by NED, and opposing uh, as like her advisor, and said, like, we're ready to assist you. We have a network of activists. So they're just a straight up arm of the CIA. They were spun out of the CIA in the Reagan administration, and they're the top funder of Bellingcat. And it never gets mentioned, as you said, Aaron. Never. And Max, I have another uh, screenshot here if you want to add it. This is so that's from so-called nonprofit foundations. And then this is some of their private company funding. And on that list, and Kit Clarenberg has a great article on this up at the Gray Zone from uh, a few months ago. Uh, so on the list includes Adam Smith International and Chemonics. And these firms, you might know Adam Smith International because that's a firm that came to fame during the Iraq War when they were heavily involved in the Bush administration's plans to remake Iraq into like a neoliberal paradise. And I believe they're also involved in, in Afghanistan too. So they're basically war profiteers along with Chemonics as well, a, a firm that does similar kind of yeah. operations. And uh, Zinc Network, that is essentially... That's also a that's a British state cutout, right? Zinc. Yep, it's an intelligence cutout. Yeah, they 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 sponsor like in Syria, they set up the astroturf media organizations to push the armed opposition's narrative. Yeah, so that's who's funding Bellingcat. It's U.S. government organizations directly, uh, other Western state cutouts, and then companies that profit off of these same government's dirty wars abroad. That is who's supporting Bellingcat, and that never, ever gets mentioned in media. They're supposed to be portrayed as this scrappy group of upstarts who just love to use Google images and other data to uh, uncover war crimes. And really, they're just doing the bidding of the people who pay them. Yeah. Uh, I want to kind of go into their origins a little bit. Uh, I just got a, a text uh, from Jimmy Dore, friend of the show. And uh, he told me that our interview about Paul Mason has been demonetized by YouTube. Huh. So I guess that's their response so far. Oh. I assume this will be demonetized as well. Why? I mean, what 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 are we doing wrong here? The the BBC and everyone. I mean, the BBC boasts about having hacked documents and broadcasts it. Ofcom doesn't care. I guess he just can't expose Paul Mason. Um, and uh, also I did an interview about the Bilderberg meeting here, which was basically a giant war summit with the head of NATO and the head of GCHQ and the CIA director, William Burns, the heads of all the major big tech companies, Peter Thiel, Reed Hoffman, uh, head of AI for Facebook and elected officials, the King of Netherlands, et cetera, all meeting uh, at a secret location, which I helped, exposed by trying to just rush up in there dressed like I was like walking into a 7-Eleven. I probably should have been wearing a suit. Um, that has a context box. My interview with Jimmy Dore has a context box about Bilderberg and it takes you to um, Wikipedia, which will 
help you understand that Bilderberg is just a uh, meeting of industrialists and politicians to discuss world affairs and to foster peace and the transatlantic relationship between Europe and the U.S. So that's YouTube for you. Anyway, um, Bellingcat has such a bizarre story, and it's been clear from the beginning. Um, and I kind of like went into, I kind of went into the, the early days of Elliot Higgins, and it tells you why, for example, foreign policy says, Bellingcat says what U.S. intelligence can't, uh, and that CIA officers say they love what Bellingcat does. But this is like a limited hangout here. This is them saying, oh, we just love what they do because we can't openly do it, as if they're not instrumentalizing Bellingcat in any way or coordinating with them. Um, but you look back at Bellingcat's history, and it goes back to Elliot Higgins' days. He was a gamer, right? And he was known as Brown Moses. And he pretends to be like this stay-at-home Mr. Mom who stumbled onto these international intrigues because he was just a master of Google Earth. And he, you know, he's surrounded by just these maverick data disruptors who have this hunger for the truth and an uncanny ability to find it with just a few keystrokes. Um, and he, you know, he gets puffed by the New York Times, Washington Post, New York Review of Books. There's this Dutch documentary about Bellingcat, which portrays them as just like these grassroots heroes. Uh, Claire Wardle, she's one of these disinformation figures from First Draft Media, which is a Pierre Omidyar operation that works with Bellingcat. And Omidyar has sponsored Bellingcat too. The Intercept had a series of $5,000 per person training sessions with Bellingcat, which was a backdoor way of paying them. And they cite them all the time at The Intercept. Claire Wardle said this in the documentary, this Dutch documentary about Bellingcat. We need professional experts like Bellingcat who can help audiences navigate this information space. Um, do we? The, the, the reality is that as Joe Loria recently wrote in Consortium News, Bellingcat was being pushed by the British Foreign Office through its ambassador at the UN um, ever since uh, 2013, when Joe Loria was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal covering the UN, he said that um, Mark Leal Grant, who was then the British ambassador, would go in and tell all the correspondents to follow this Brown Moses character. Um, and he thought it was so strange that the British uh, state was pushing an anonymous blog. Um, and he said, you know, they're promoting him as this great source. And the ambassador kept praising this guy. But he was anonymous and no one knew who he was. Um, and, you know, it turns out he was uh, sitting in a basement in like Leicester, England or somewhere with no weapons background at all. And it was just completely weird. I think comes out as Elliot Higgins, comes out from behind the curtain and starts getting promoted by Brian Whitaker, who we all know is one of the top attack dogs against the OPCW whistleblowers, Scott Lucas at the University of Birmingham, another part of this, this network pushing the Syrian dirty war from within universities, would rely on Higgins constantly to counter any critical reporting of the regime change war. And uh, early 2013, around this time, when Higgins was getting all this promotion, he couldn't find work, he said, 
So he was working, and this is according to the New Yorker, with Alan Vanguard. You just go online and look up what Alan Vanguard was. He was a consultant. It's a Canadian private intelligence company that gets government contracts to market counterintelligence or countermeasures to militaries seeking protection from drone attacks and IEDs. So this is early on who Higgins was working with. And so somehow to get Higgins, uh, you know, to save him when he started like whining in the media about how he couldn't get any work, a uh, BBC World Affairs producer named Stuart Hughes magically materializes and produces a professionally done fundraising video for Higgins from the BBC, the BBC, which gets its funding for its world service from the British Foreign Office, the public state broadcaster. And then in November 2013, The New Yorker comes out with a, a series, one of many puff profiles on uh, Higgins. I can put it on screen here um, and, and I'll tell you what's significant about it. And they call him Rocket Man, you know, like he's he's just this quirky uh, nerd who on how an unemployed blogger confirmed. No, I don't want your offer. You suck. Uh, how an unemployed blogger confirmed that Syria had used chemical weapons. This is all related to uh, the first claims about Guto, which you've effectively raked over the coals, Aaron. And uh, you know what's significant about this piece is who's quoted in it to testify to Higgins' brilliance. Okay, gushing praise from Reza Afshar, who is the former Syria team leader for the British Foreign Office. They keep coming up whenever Bellingcat is involved. Jeffrey White from WINEP, the Washington Institute for Near East Studies, uh, for Near East Policy, sorry, which is a think tank that was cut out of APAC, the main arm of the Israel lobby in Washington. And then Yasmin Green from Google Ideas, which is now known as Jigsaw. Uh, and she's the, she was their main cybersecurity director. And then, of course, you have Human Rights Watch, which is, you know, completely co-opted. And according to Winnep, Jeffrey White, Higgins was basically the standard. What he was doing is basically for the, the standard for what's going on now in weaponry. Uh, and what they mean is information weaponry, not actually weapons analysis, because his analysis was so badly flawed. Now, here's one aspect of Higgins at the time that I think is very few people know about and is just shocking, is shocking to me. Um, Aaron, you want you had something you wanted to add to this stream. I'll just well, okay. So just so that that subheading of that story uh speaks to something that's so funny. First of all, it's it's called uh in the New Yorker, it said something like how an unemployed blogger expose serious use of chemical weapons that's that's the essence of what it said right yeah so which is just a funny line to begin with like the idea that an unemployed blogger could expose something like that but it's all the more funny given who he's tried to discredit um and that includes seymour hirsch legendary reporter who's broken some of the biggest stories of the last century me lie um he's broken stuff about cointelpro uh, abu Ghraib, on and on and on okay and so C. Hirsch or Cy Hirsch also reported on Guta, where he reported that uh, Obama was privately warned by James Clapper that the U.S. did not have the intelligence that Syria was guilty of, right. the, of the Guta not attack. Not a slam dunk. It was not a slam dunk. That's what uh, Obama uh, was told. And Cy Hirsch also reported that tests were done by Portendown, a British military lab, 
and they found that the sarin found in Guto was not a match to the Syrian military stockpile. So, and Hirsch also reported on, on findings by Ted Postal, eminent, physici eminent physicist from MIT, that the range of the rockets uh, that hit Guta could, based on their, on the range, they could not have come from Syrian government territory. They only could have come from insurgent controlled territory. And uh, Elliot Higgins tried to disprove all of this on his blog. And this is what he says about Hirsch in his book. Um, he says this, the Hirsch story posed many questions. The problem was I had answered most of them long before. And he goes on to say, Hirsch needed only to read my blog. Okay. So just like the, the humorous of this guy. Okay. He's a, a blogger thinking that somehow his blog can disprove not only the reporting of a legend like Cy Hirsch, but also uh, the, um, the studies that were done by people like Ted Postal who found that Higgins, what Higgins put out, basically saying the rockets had to have come from the government-controlled areas, was false, and that the rockets actually only could have come from the insurgent-controlled areas. And even the New York Times was actually forced to recognize this. They essentially retracted stories that they had done based on Higgins' work and Human Rights Watch's work, and they acknowledged that what Postal put out was actually correct. But just like the, just like how cocky he is that Seymour Hirsch only needed to read my blog as if that could somehow answer anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, and it, it speaks to the sloppiness and unprofessionalism that has marked this career back in 2013. We know that Higgins was in touch with someone named Matthew Van Dyke. Matthew Van Dyke is a self-described Christian mercenary who has been active in war zones from Libya to Syria um, and around the world. And he runs this hustle where people pay him to like raise private armies to fight fights. And somehow he was, well, when he was captured, I believe in um, Syria, his family claimed that he was a journal. No, was, he was held government by Libyan government forces in 2011. And he was running around there with two characters, Stephen Sotloff and who's the other one who was beheaded by ISIS, um, who became like this major figure triggering the attack on James ISIS. James Foley. Yeah. Sorry. James Foley. Yeah. He was riding around with them in his Jeep, taking them around Libya. Very suspicious stuff. Um, I'll get more into that. And he was captured by Libyan forces. His family portrayed him as a combatant, uh, sorry, as a journalist when he was in fact a combatant. Uh, and even the Columbia Journalism Review weighed in and said, this is actually putting journalists in danger to um, cast mercenaries as journalists to elicit public sympathy. In any case, Higgins was in touch with this mercenary possible spook figure who was involved in so many regime change efforts back in 2013 and something called the Syrian electronic army managed to get their communications. I think it must've been because they fished Van Dyke uh, on Facebook and these were Facebook chats. And basically at one point, what takes place is that Van Dyke has been, he's been embedded with Javed al-Nusra, which was the Syrian wing of Al Qaeda and he starts telling his pals that 
Jabhat al-Nusra has sarin, that they have chemical weapons. This is before the Ghouta attack. Let's take a look. This, the, I, these are some of the chats that I tweeted at Higgins because he was like attacking me for going on CGTN, the Chinese state network that like all kinds of think tankers go on there. But he thought, you know, it was evil that I went on there. And I said, you know, now that he's here, what's up with these 2013 chats between him and mercenary spook Van Dyke? Why did he agree to keep his pal's disclosure about Nusra's sarin off the record? I'll assume these are, are authentic until he says otherwise. He didn't say otherwise. He said nothing. Let's look at these chats. This is so shocking. Van Dyke to Higgins. Don't rule out the possibility that the rebels do have a small quantity of chemical weapons. I've had information for a few months on this. This is off the record. I am telling you, since you've done so much good work in this field, you have a right to know about the likelihood. And then Higgins agrees to keep off the record that an inside source who's been embedded with those rebels has chemical weapons right before a chemical weapons attack that takes place in rebel-held territory that he is reporting or, or analyzing. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And this is, um, oh, sorry, let me just... Yeah, it's unbelievable. Sorry, a lot of sirens today around me. Yeah, uh, and this is the reality that Elliot Higgins has helped to cover up, which is he knows that insurgents in Syria, uh, supported by the West, have chemical weapons. And that's actually among the revelations that came out in Seymour Hersh's reporting, that there was Pentagon documents about extensively about how Al-Qaeda in Syria had an extensive sarin production cell, sarin which was used in the Ghouta attack in 2013. And all yeah. that was known. It was discussed. It was heavily circulated inside the intelligence community. Everybody knew it, but everybody covered it up because they wanted to blame the Syrian government, even though they knew the Syrian government uh, had no incentive to use chemical weapons. The only incentive to use chemical weapons came when Obama laid down the red line and said, this is the one condition under which I would launch a military strike. So as a former U.S. Middle East ambassador told uh, Charles Glass of Harper's Magazine a few years ago, the red lag... The red flag was an open invitation. Sorry, the red line was an open invitation to a false flag. Yeah, that's such a key quote. Basically, you're incentivizing a false flag attack. Now, here's um, May 8th, 2013. I don't have this to put on screen right now, but I'll just read some highlights of it. Matthew Van Dyke, mercenary, apparent spook to Elliot Higgins. I mean, I just can't believe this stuff. They basically Higgins had already agreed to a code of omerta to silence about the armed opposition possessing chemical weapons. And then Van Dyke says to him, I'm just telling you so that you'll keep an open mind about these incidents and not have anything come totally unexpected to you in the future about chemical weapons use in Syria. So he's basically saying there's going to be a chemical weapons attack and keep an open mind because it could come from the rebels themselves. And then Higgins says, I'll keep an eye out then. Van Dyke, you didn't hear any of this from me. Okay, understood, says Higgins. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to let that, I'm, I'm not going to let that, I'm not even going to talk about it on background. And then Van Dyke says, you can privately discuss it with other journalists, I suppose, and tell them what I told you. And, then, but, and he says, I'm just telling journalists so they're prepared for the possibility of gas exposure if they work in the Aleppo area, which is controlled then by Nusra. So foreshadowing chemical attacks, 
Higgins knows all about it, agrees to silence, and goes, goes forward and on every major chemical incident, points the finger at the Syrian government to stimulate public support for regime change over the red line. I mean, I, I should, I should publish, I mean, the, these have been tweeted about, reported at the time, but I think they're so relevant right now that Bellingcat has become what it is, which is just like this major juggernaut, quote unquote, Intel by proxy. Yes. Now, Max, I know we we're going to wrap soon, but I've just gotten word from a friend in the UK that Novara Media, that Novara Media has been covering the Mason emails, but in the process, they said some harsh things about us and I was given a time code and we haven't watched this yet, but if we, I don't know if you have the time now. Yeah, yeah let's, let's get it on. Should we watch it and respond to it <laughs> yeah. in real time? All right. So, and again, I haven't seen this yet. I just was given this time code. So who knows what it says, but we can watch it and see what, uh, what's going on. All right. I already don't like this video. I already hate it. <laughs> All right, well, let's see. let's let's hear what it is. I love the the brick wall. It's so real. <laughs> For a while now, Paul Mason has been lashing out at any left winger he doesn't deem to be supportive enough of NATO. But emails leaked to the grey zone show just how far that obsession seems to have gone. The leaked emails are mainly an exchange between Paul Mason and someone called Emil Khan, who is the founder of a self-described counter-disinformation organization. The principal focus of the emails is marginalizing the gray zone. Mason and Khan see the website as, as pushing out Kremlin-backed conspiracy theories. And of course, the gray zone, understandably, aren't very happy about that fact. Now, we should be clear, discussing how to expose journalism you think is dishonest or flawed is perfectly reasonable, and the Grey Zone's reporting is controversial. In March this year, their founder asked, was bombing of Mariupol theatre staged by Ukrainian Azov extremists to trigger NATO intervention? Good question. And the Grey Zone's reporting on the Syrian civil war took a similar turn. They often suggested that atrocities, which most experts blamed on Syrian President Assad, were in Group fact experts. false flags committed by groups resisting the regime. So if you want to ask questions about their journalism, feel free. Whatever you think of that website, though, Paul Mason's apparent plotting should... Thank you, Michael, for the solidarity. <laughs> they I always do that. Whatever you think of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, that's not as bad as I thought. It was going to be, I mean, usually people call us, say much worse, and it's fine. It actually is great to find a rate of questions about what we report. It would, we would actually, as we talked about before, we would welcome that if people actually challenge us based on what we say. But instead, they're trying to deplatform us as they're talking about here. Anyway, let's well, they, see if- they play, they play into it. And, you know, if Michael Absolutely. would like to find one dead body from the Mariupol theater or any video of the rescue operation or any video of the bombing- uh, I welcome that. Anyway, let's go. Be of wider concern. Just take a look at this email. Mason says to Khan, I'm keen to help re-Grayzone. If you have any access to resources and expertise, here is what I suggest. A dynamic map of the left pro-Putin infosphere. I made one of the British left Putin influencers that I can share with you, but a more useful project would be to get pro-traffic analysts to map how the different echo chambers interact, where the material begins, and work out who might be pulling the strings. You're talking about this 
dynamic pro-Putin map. And then he says, I asked two people on the official side who are concerned about this, does the state monitor and counter left disinfo? And they said no. So I suspect that might be it. Uh, I don't know if we want to watch this channel's coverage of something that we've already covered and that we first reported. Then but. They're going to go on to, uh, you know, how great West Streeting is or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really yeah. sizzling yeah. content. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, cool. Um, that, that, that I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, they're, yeah. uh, they're doing what we expect them to do. They, they're playing, you know, middle-class respectability, that whole thing. I'm used to it. But at least they're, uh, at but, least they're, covering, they're covering this. And it's important that this be covered. That's yeah. what I said earlier. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Jacobin, which is kind of like the U.S. version of Novara, or maybe Novara is the U.S. version of uh, the U.K. version of them. They're going to cover this, too. And it's important that, you know, even the social Democrats who Paul Mason situates himself among see him for what he really is. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Jacobin got a green rating from NewsGuard. We got a red rating, uh, which is like, I want to make a shirt out of it. Um, NewsGuard, if, for those who don't know, is basically, it's funded by the Pentagon and Big Pharma and they do media ratings. But it's, so it's good that a green, a green light publication is covering this as well. And by the way, Max, you know what? You know what's so funny? It's like all these people say, you know, whatever you think about the gray zone, and yeah, there are questions about the reporting, blah blah blah. They'll never ever have us on to pose those questions to us directly. So if you really believe there's something missing about a reporting, and you think that, uh, for example, we are wrong about uh, the Mar the Mariupol theater or about Syria, have us on to challenge us about it. But they'll never ever do that. At least though. Now they're reporting on these emails, which is better than nothing. A lot of people are just trying to ignore them. So I do appreciate Navarro doing that. Yeah. And I appreciate uh, if Jacobin's going to do it. Yeah. Then do it. What uh, What is necessary is mainstream media starts to reckon with the gravity of all of these disclosures that are contained in Kit's, Kit Clarenberg's reporting. Uh, this is just groundbreaking well it's 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 it should shake politics across the atlantic uh but they're so disciplined and so determined to maintain the status quo that they're not gonna it doesn't seem like they'll allow that to happen um so basically paul mason is just this story about mason's generated a lot of attention because he's targeting people within the left and they feel offended. I mean, Novara media was on Mason's Nixonian enemies list chart, which is pretty bonkers because he's trying to connect them to the Russian and Chinese government. And you know why I say mainstream media won't cover any of this uh, is based on, you know, information I've even, I, I just, what I know I sent this story to a friend who works in mainstream media and they sent the story around the office. And one person wrote back, be careful of the gray zone. Uh, you know, basically suggested we're like some uh, Russian front group. So that's, you know, that's what they think of us in mainstream media based on nothing, based on no evidence. And there never will be any evidence because there is none. And, and, you know, that's what Mason aims to achieve with, anyone whose opinion he disagrees with is you see in the exchange with Owen Jones, where he accuses Owen Jones 
of a Putin talking point by saying that the West cares more about Ukraine than Yemen. Well, that's obvious. Isn't that obvious? I don't, you know, when I go around DC or to areas where the rich liberals live, I don't see a Yemeni flag next to their Black Lives Matter or rainbow LGBTQ flag, or is it like LGBTQ plus plus IA? I don't even know what letters are there now, but I don't see the Yemeni flag or the Ansar Allah flag next to it. I see the Ukrainian flag. It's always there. It's like from mutual aid to BLM to military aid to Ukraine. That's the current thing now. And it is a fact that there's more sympathy for them because they're white. There is an underlying current of racism to the rich, affluent liberal support for Ukraine, the solidarity that we see on networks from Fox to CNN to MSNBC. How's that? That's undeniable. But Paul Mason calls that a pro-Putin talking point. <laughs> so, I mean, come on. I, and what's next? So what's next for Paul Mason? What's next for all the people that have been exposed here? Will there be any consequence? We've been, we are the ones who've been, as I said, we've been bullied, we've been harassed, we've been intimidated, targeted, hit with phony lawsuits, threatened with more, uh, targeted for deplatforming, not them. So they've been the ones doing that. Will there be any consequence? They'll be promoted. Paul Mason will get some kind of senior fellowship in disinformation counter studies or something if he doesn't become a successful Labor Party politician or who knows, but they'll always be promoted. There's always a reward in attacking genuine dissenters. That's just how it is. Yeah. I mean, that's how you know we live in an oligarchy is that the people that serve it always get rewarded. It's an effective oligarchy. Like people think society is falling apart. Like you have like a candidate running. Uh, I'm in Washington. You have a candidate running for office in Baltimore and his entire campaign platform is to declare a state of emergency in Baltimore because the situation with crime and violence is so out of control. It's it's happening right here. I can just see it. I can see just terrible social decay. Uh, I drive around and I see people ODing on the streets from fentanyl, oxy. Uh, I've you know I hear shootings all the time. Constantly hear helicopters buzzing overhead. Everybody feels it. Gas prices are what close to nine dollars in some places in California a gallon. Food is through the roof. People feel like society's falling apart. Baby formulas, there's shortages of baby formula, shortages of tampons now because cotton prices are so high and supply chains are broken. You've seen governments kind of falling, and you think, oh, everything's falling apart. But no, the oligarchy is actually running a pretty tight ship. It's just mm -hmm. It's running it for itself. Bill Bill Gates, his wealth increased by 35%, I think, during uh, the pandemic when everyone else was like getting thrown out of work. So Paul Mason will get taken care of because he's attacking the left from the left. Max, as we uh, start to wrap uh, today, there was an, a report in the US saying that inflation has hit a 40 year high. And what did Joe Biden say? He goes, today's inflation report confirms what Americans already know. Putin's price hike is hitting America hard. <laughs> he said that? That's what he said. That's all they have. That's all they've got. And by the way, let me also, let me actually update people. So before I, I joked that the ratings for the January 6th hearings, because 
Um, I joked that the ratings were going to be low and that I joked that, that Biden was going to make them a state secret. But actually, they've come out and actually close to 20 million people watched the January 6th hearings last night, which is more than I I would have predicted. I would have predicted about half that. So I stand corrected there. There's actually more interest than I had imagined. Tell me again, what, what were the ratings like? 20 million, close to 20 million people. All right, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got to say like, being there and witnessing it was pretty exciting. Like, not that I was like, yay, go take over the Capitol and riot, but I'd never seen anything like it. Like there was a, there was an armored police vehicle, like a SWAT armored vehicle in sitting in front of the Capitol, completely unattended with no cops around. And a dude was sitting on the roof, smoking a blunt. <laughs> and they were just having a field day. So, I mean, I, I assume some people would want to, you know, watch those highlights just for the sheer insanity of it. Here's our president, by the way, this is the person that was supposedly elected with 10 million more votes than Barack Obama, by the way, I'm not questioning the legitimacy of the election for YouTube. I'm just saying like a lot of people went out and voted for this guy or were somehow convinced to do so. You turn on, no, I'm serious. There's something to that. Yeah. No, I'm serious. You turn on the TV, look at the ads. When's the last time you saw biracial couples on TV? When's the last time you saw the way people are selling products? They do ads to sell products. And they sell products when people kill the people. This generation is going to change everything. We just got to make sure we don't give up. There's an ability for us to do everything from increase the access to education, Healthcare. Look what we did in healthcare. All, all the. Okay, so yeah, biracial couples. Like he, he's not even saying interracial couples. He's saying biracial couples. Uh, and he can't. Jimmy Kimmel's there. I mean, he's openly saying he's a Biden supporter. Like, and he's trying so hard to help Biden through the interview. <laughs> Tough job. He, he just can't do it. He cannot do it. It's a straight up elder abuse. And, and, and we're plunging into global recession with yeah. this person in charge of the most powerful economy in human history. To everyone who sent super chats, let me apologize. We didn't get a chance to read them. A lot of them are, we can't, I can't find them now. I've been looking I for them. I can never find them. Yeah, they just disappear as we're talking. It's, it's tough to manage. But thank you, everyone who sent super chat. We really appreciate the support. It's very kind, especially before YouTube demonetizes this, this video, which is inevitable. Yeah, that's happening now. It's, it's the Mason effect. Like it literally is like Wyatt Reed was kicked off PayPal less than 24 hours after the first time that he criticized Paul Mason. <laughs> Sorry to laugh. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, there are biracial couples on TV ads. So is that what Biden's saying? Or there aren't enough? No, he's saying that's a sign of progress that there are. <clears throat> that there are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I see, well, I, when I watch an SUV ad, I always see an interracial couple in the SUV, like in any SUV ad, but in real life, I don't really see that. So I guess ads are reality according to Biden. Um, we're, you know, just letting everybody here know that we are gonna stay and fight we are going to be on Patreon until they kick us off. So support us at Patreon slash Gray Zone. I think that's it. That's our Patreon. 
Um, that's the best way to support us. We're still on PayPal. You can support us on PayPal straight through our, our site, the gray zone. Um, we exist off support from people like you, assuming you are not a Kremlin official or a Chinese government official, uh, assuming you're just like a regular person. Um, I even, I even, you know, we get a little support from snail mail from, you know, people who don't want to donate through Patreon and I'm going to, you know, we're going to revamp our studio here. That's how we pay contributors. We pay for translation into Spanish. I mean, we just, those are our methods, Paul Mason and Emil Khan. Those are our methods. Our methods are pretty publicly known, uh, pretty obvious. And uh, so, yeah, that's how you can support us. And we're just going to, we're going to stay on all these platforms and YouTube and, and we're just going to have it out. Um, and we just want to let you know that we are all in this psyop together. And on that note, I want to kind of close, um, and Aaron, you can feel free to have any closing thoughts after this, but I want to close with a, um, video that is guaranteed to make you trust your government. The U S government even more is made by the U S army. This is, so this is Pentagon material. And this is this is a section of it. It's called Ghosts in the Machine. There is another very important phase of warfare. It has as its target not the body, but the mind of the enemy. The target of psychological warfare is against the enemy's mind. It is words and ideas. Ammunition used by cyborg. Its mission is to influence the thoughts of the enemy soldiers, and at the same time is expected and encouraged to study foreign languages and the social sciences such as history, economics, and sociology. He must have a broad and sympathetic understanding of all phases of human experience. Gripping at my skin, the walls of night closing. <laughs> But the use of this force as an integral part of combat has now taken on new form. This is an army video. Taking credit for color revolutions. Oh my God. These are the Psy War soldiers. Oh my God. There it is. Go Army. Go Army. It's Go Army Psy, Psy War. So they're trying to appeal to people by saying you can take part in psyops and color revolutions that's the message here like basically like, yeah they, you get to who are they going for you can con you can control reality and uh animate events around the world by ha basically hacking into the minds of people i guess they're going for a more educated population because the army is uh, struggling with recruitment 
especially of people with more than high school degrees. I mean, they're kind of like siphoning off a lot of the social rabble and having to lower the recruitment standards. If you look at other army recruitment ads, um, they're targeting parents because it's parents who are preventing their kids from going into the US military. And then here they're like, you can basically be in Bellingcat, but bigger. I mean, and what they're all really saying is that we are the target. Mm -hmm. That we are the target, which just speaks to why I think what we're doing is important. Because I, I, I mean, I want to be a human shield to defend people from that. From that shit. That is so undemocratic. And it's just despicable that they're bragging about that in public. I don't know if you have anything else to add, but I, I feel like no, we can <laughs> wrap here with our demonetized stream. Thanks everybody who tuned in and for all your supportive comments. We really appreciate it. And yeah, yeah Max, listen, support. so Max, what can we look forward to uh, when it comes to these um, Mason gate? Will we, will we be seeing more reporting from you and Kit Clarenberg on this? You will be seeing more reporting on Mason Gate and other British political intrigues. You will be seeing, I think, reports, unless I like fall off a balcony somehow <laughs> or like Paul Mason hits me with Novichok. <laughs> you will be seeing months worth of this stuff uh, possibly, but I don't want to telegraph our punches. I would just say, uh, watch this space. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Thanks to everybody who joined us today. This was, uh, this was great and great to have you with us. And thank you for all your support. Peace. And, and check me out on, on, on Rockfin. I'm going to be doing an exclusive stream there pretty soon. And I'll talk about um, my experience at the Bilderberg meeting and other issues that problem that require context boxes on YouTube <laughs> and lots of great guests coming uh, again, patreon.com slash gray zone um, support us through PayPal while you can. And uh, you know where else to find us. So thanks everyone for joining us. Peace.